Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast, episode 231. Uh, it is our Thanksgiving episode special, uh, and of course, we're thankful for you and all uh, of our listeners, except for Heather, who's mad that I didn't invite her for the first half. She's shaking her head angrily at me as I do this intro. Uh, joining us this week, uh, Ron Kloppenstein and Teresa McFadden uh, join us for a really great conversation about history, about uh, Westland Historical Society, about politics. Great, great time t- uh, chatting those folks up. Uh, also this week, uh, we're talking the Cybertruck, we're ranking Thanksgiving foods, we're talking about getting blocked by Claudia Cinney. That happened. I don't know when, if it was this week or last week, but who knows. Uh, history lessons, uh, meat-based carrots, all sorts of stuff. All, all this and more, folks. Uh, as always, we are happy to have you here on this Thanksgiving episode of the Uticast. It's the Uticast, episode 231. Yo, we in here. 231. This, <laughs> this is the... Uh, we already know. We don't normally make a big deal out of it, but today is the Thanksgiving special, I would assume. I feel we like don't make big deals out of specials anymore. I used to make bigger deal out of I know. Halloween. How long? We did also... We would do a Thanksgiving special, a Halloween special, I mean, Christmas special, Fourth of July. You don't like specials anymore. You're jaded. Well, especially... You're a grizzled podcasting at, vet uh, now. At this time of year, I feel like it gets really, really convoluted with special episodes. Mm. It's really easy to fall into the trap where, like, every episode is a special episode, and I don't, I don't need that to be the case. Maybe but, uh, every episode should just be special. It's <laughs> a fair point. Uh, that. So, let me, uh, first off, uh, episode 231, uh, Ron Kloppenstein and his guest this week, Teresa McFadden, joined us for a great conversation. Really excited to talk to them again. It's been about 40 weeks since we've talked to Ron, and we've never talked to Teresa before, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, so when we... Let me put full disclosure. We're recording this now at just me and Kevin because there is the thought that you are not sure we'll be here for the second half. Yeah, so let me, let me slide in and we'll yeah, tell yeah. The people what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Slide right in. Yeah. Um, normally, we record the podcast on Mondays. Uh, the musical group that pays me to play songs with them rehearses on Tuesdays, normally. Mm. Um, but we were going to be practicing on this Monday night because we couldn't do it Tuesday. But I just so we're flying an early segment before Heather can even get here. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do. I just got a text that says our drummer is sick. He's got a bit of a stomach bug. So it looks like I might be able to be here for the whole pod. So I might be, I don't even know if this is the first segment. I this might be, be on later. Segment, yeah. I might not be on later. We're, you know, <laughs> Stay tuned. Sure. There's only one way to find out. We're going to do a little <laughs> cliffhanger and we go to the interview um, and then we'll see how it goes after that. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, it got me thinking, though, because I was trying to remember, and I, I think you have a better memory, nostalgia-wise, than I do. I was trying to think about the era when we were, like, practicing regularly with the band that we were in. I think I just have a better memory than you. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, that's that's Nostalgia-wise seemed like a real qualifier. I was oh, like, not, hey, no, wait my, a minute. My memory is shot in general. But um, did we have, when we were playing regularly, that space above Pizza Classic from back in the day? We only had that for a short amount of time. We barely played there. Yeah, it's... Well, I guess, did we have a scheduled day that we were practicing? Or were we just sort of practicing whatever back then? We were practicing every day. 
every day. Every day, yeah. Monday through Thursday, uh, and then shows on the weekend. But four practices a week, 9 o'clock. Are we doing four practices a week? 100%. Then? Oh, my God. 100%. We practice every night. I think we would have been better. <laughs> I mean, we tried to drag different elements of the riffraff as far up as we could. Um, um, but you know what, though? It was different because at that time, we were... Uh, we were writing songs and that creating songs. That's true. So for like for my for my band now, we practice once a week because we do covers. We mm-hmm. learn songs, come in, we touch bass. You can do a lot of work at home. You like today. I sat down. I learned mm-hmm. you know four songs today that I think we're gonna roll out for a show. We're playing um at the gig this weekend, so oh, nice. I learned four songs. Just that you know we're gonna poke around and practice tonight. See how it goes. A lot of times we'll learn songs and we won't practice them. We'll just go to the show and do them. <laughs> but that's easier to do because you know. The songs are already established. So a lot of the time we spent at rehearsal when we were younger in a band would be nights that we were working on songs. So we'd spend a whole night working on finding the right bridge or getting the chorus yeah. or putting a stop here or doing this. So that requires more time than That's it does true. just to learn covers, which you can kind of do on the fly. We were also a lot younger. I think we were looking for stuff to do more often. <laughs> like, let's go practice. We no, because there was always plenty of stuff to do because people used to blow off practice for, like, to try to blow off practice for, like, whatever Flavor of the Month girlfriend they had or, like, Shout different... Steve and Nick. There was always tons of stuff to... There's less stuff to do now yeah. than there was to do mm-hmm. back then. But, no, we wanted to. I mean, if yeah. I had... If I had a scenario where I had a group that I was writing and creating music with that mm-hmm. I felt passionate enough about to go and play in front of people, I'd still be happy to do it four nights a week. Yeah, That hasn't fair. changed for me. I would have to stop doing this, probably. You wouldn't have to stop doing this. You'd have to stop stressing yourself out about this. You'd have to stop doing That's other true. stuff, but not this. That's fair. Uh, it is funny, though. I still think about it. I uh, I wonder what it would be like for me to drop back into a band regularly and play it out. It'd be tough for me, I think. How come? Well, a lot of the things I used to do when we were playing in bands together is the singing, right? And I was only an okay guitar player. It would be hard to find a band that's just suddenly looking for someone who wants to sing and play okay guitar. I was never, right. that's you know fair. what I mean? It's a harder. I, I don't know what my value would be if I wasn't immediately like singing or writing songs. I see what you're, you're saying. Like, I see I don't, what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bit of a jack of all trades. You could put me in a couple different instruments, but only like at a B plus only level. To a level. Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah. understand that. I can. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I've definitely, I'll tell you what, joining, uh, being in a cover band and doing that as, like, you know, a gig where I'm playing out all the time now, mm. um, and even, you know, over the years I've gotten older, it just gives me, I have such a respect for uh, musicians and musicianship. Um, just, it, it's crazy, all the different people out there, and how, like, how talented some people are, and just how locked in, and how, I don't know, just the musicianship that people have, I have, a, I have a deep, deep respect for it, and that's why I'm always, like, even if it's, if I go out and I see a band that I don't really like... It's rare that you'll hear me just like trash a band. Sure, you know what I mean? Like sure. I might, if it's like you and me, I might make a joke because like I've got a funny joke <laughs> yeah. that I like the line and the way um, it works. But like a lot of respect for anybody out there uh, uh, actually playing and you know learning yeah. and working to get better at their instrument. I go back to this uh, quote that has stuck with me over the years. Weirdly, it was Norm Macdonald on an interview talking about his old TV show Norm, which mm. was on ABC. Sure, and they were talking about it in the in the past tense, and he said, you know. That show didn't get good reviews, and people didn't really like it. Mm. But people worked really hard. Like, whether something is good or bad, you can always guarantee that people are putting their heart and soul into something, even if it's not very good. You know what I mean? Like, it's very rare that anyone is, like, not trying, and that's why something's not bad. You know what I mean? So, it's important to keep in mind that somebody put a lot of time and effort in almost anything you see, in terms Mm. of entertainment, whether it's music or television or film or whatever you want to, whatever angle you want to take on that. Uh Um, So... There you go. That's where we are now. Six minutes in. Uh, a couple things to get into. One, I'm having a bit of an existential crisis now. Nice. This is not 
the same as a panic attack or any of my weird, like, neurotic nonsense. I'm just now coming to the term that in a month from now, I will not have the job that I have currently because I have to leave to do student teaching. Correct. And it's just an odd feeling that I've had lately. I'm not nervous about it. I'm just thinking about it. It's a very transitionary Change is coming. Change is coming. That's a good thing, though. You should lean into that. Well, I like telling... You should lean into that and embrace that. You know what I mean? No, I am. I'm, I'm enjoying the idea that it's coming. It's just I'm trying to imagine what it will be like in a month, right? When I'm right. when my mind changes about how I live my life and how I run from day to day. Do you know what I mean? So I'm looking forward to student teaching. Looking forward to being in the classroom. Looking forward to like dealing with the kids and all that. Yeah, yeah. Not looking forward to doing that without getting paid for it. No, that's going to be <laughs> problematic. Yes, it is. Um, uh, it's one of those things that we've talked about it before about barber school. Like I would love probably it. why you're supposed to like student. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, go do it, yeah, do it while you're in, in college. Do yeah. it like when you're in college, you go live at home and like your parents and all that stuff. Yes. Yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. Sense. So for any aspiring teachers out there, do your education degree first as your as your bachelor's degree, and then get your history degree as your master's. Don't do it the other way because then you end up in a weird boat like me, where you're totally yeah, but done. In order to teach in New York State, don't you have to get your master's in education? Yes, but you can. This isn't one of those like fly by night southern states where, like, if you graduate high school and interview well, you could be the principal. You could get your. There's ways to do it that you wouldn't have to do it the way I did it, where you're sure. 33 years old, going to student teach for no money, and like going to have to go get another job like on the side. Well, not waiting all those years. Well, that's no reason you decided to be a teacher was because you got that job, but they're like, yo, we're going to pay you to be a teacher. Yes. You know, uh, I mean, you weren't necessarily going to be a teacher before you took that gig. So, if anyone knows any good uh, student teaching type. Uh, extra jobs that they've done in the past they want to share with me or let me know, shout out your boy mm-hmm. who's having just a slight minor minor existential crisis. I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've leaned away from it. Uh, Kevin, it is the last day for all the school kids before vacation for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving yeah? is two days away. Oh, yeah, that's can... so annoying. I was going to go to the barbershop and get a haircut tomorrow. <laughs> and I, I'm still going to because I'm still going to have to, but damn, that's no, annoying. Well... Barbershop's going to be packed. Not tomorrow, but when, by the time you people hear this, it will be, oh, you, you know what I'm okay. saying? Like, so I have to go. You have to go tomorrow. You Don't to go let it rock till Wednesday. Don't wait, because uh, Wednesday will be a nightmare. Um, so it's the last day before summer vaca- uh, Thanksgiving vacation, and I can tell because none of my kids are interested in doing anything oh, for the yeah. next two days. And I was trying to figure out, like, were we like that? Like, were we ready to, like, just give up the day before vacation? Was that always a thing? What was 10 going? million percent, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. To, and I feel bad because, like, as a teacher, I'm supposed to be, you know, like, the authority figure. But it's like when you're a parent, I assume, and your kid does something. You get it. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, when, I, yeah. when we used to, when we were, like, in high school and stuff like that, teachers got it. Teachers understood. Mm-hmm. You'd have, like, some of, like, the hard-ass teachers who were like, <laughs> yeah. we've got a segment to get through on, you know, chlorophyll. And you're just like, whatever. Chlorophyll. Whatever you say, Miss McDonough, we're done. <laughs> we're done. It's over. Um... It would be the same. It's the same thing in jobs, though, too. Like yes. People, nobody's doing any oh, yeah. work this week. I remember it was specifically funny when I worked at the brewery mm. because it would be like the end of the holiday week. <laughs> yeah. Not only is everybody done working, but like you work in a place where there's just beer everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So everybody's going to lunch at like 11.30 and just uh, drinking. And like just people by the end of like almost right before the holiday, people are just like at their office with beers. They're just like, yeah, I don't know, whatever. While we're Find at it, me. should we run through the Thanksgiving stuff now since we're already sort of talking about it? Sure, yeah. What's up? Uh, so, 
I don't want to ask the straightforward question, what are you thankful for this year? But what are you looking forward to the most this Thanksgiving coming up? I know you're a new uncle. I'm sure that's very exciting for you to uh, to do that this year. Uh, yeah, hopefully. My brother's uh, my brother's in-laws, giant, like, complicated, convoluted family, monopolizes uh, a lot of their time. I see. Um, squeaky wheel tends to get the grease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm hoping that I can get to see uh, my brother. We're doing um, Thanksgiving dinner... My Thanksgiving dinner on my mother's side of the family, um, we're doing at a different aunt's house this mm. year. We've never done it there. Uh, we used to do it when she lived with my grandparents when I was younger. We did it with my grandparents, so I guess that counted. But we do Christmas Eve at her house. So I'm excited for that. Maybe it'll be a new tradition. I'm excited mm. to just get together with that family and see the people. Um, <laughs> I always like Thanksgiving, you know. Um, it's going to be it's gonna be nice. I have to say, I've said for years that Thanksgiving was my favorite holiday. Uh, it's much less overall effort unless you're cooking the whole thing then like a sure. christmas sure, or sure. a a even a halloween to a certain extent sort of like a weird holiday now mm-hmm. i feel like though my enjoyment for christmas or for thanksgiving has tailed off a little bit though because my family is sort of splintered into different places like i have a lot of family it used to be every cousin would be there we'd be sitting around watching football yeah. and having and now it feels very segmented I hear, we're getting I hear older and, yeah. uh, as i get older and things yeah. splinter and segment and like it's no longer Cause like when you're when you when you grow up and you're a kid and you know you're doing holidays and holidays are the best. It's because the entire holiday is catered towards you, yeah, and around you and making sure that your experience of the holiday is optimized. Yeah. Generally, like I feel like if you have, you know, if you're lucky enough to have like a kind and loving family that like you know takes care of you and is thoughtful like that. But as you get older, that's just not the case because you're sort of angling towards another generation of kids. You know yeah. what I mean? You've got like real problems and people splinter and like. You know, you get older, too, and, like, you miss people. You know what I mean? Like, how many of your great holiday memories are about, you know, grandparents that are no longer here anymore? You know what I mean? And well, same thing for me. I think about it with my niece and nephew who live in Chicago. Yeah. And not for so much Thanksgiving, but for Christmas specifically. Yeah. At some point in time, I always assumed that they, my sister and my brother-in-law would want to do Christmas in Chicago so that Santa could come to their kid's house at their actual home and not to grandma's house in Utica. You think and, so? Not at this point. Yeah, because why? It, it, now at this point, like the one is old enough to know that she doesn't care, and yeah, yeah. the other one is they're both just, old enough to know. Yeah, probably. so it's weird because I grew up where Christmas was a big deal at my house on Valentine's Day. Like my, we had Christmas party the night before. Christmas was a big deal there the next day. So sure. I guess I'm just sort of biased because that's how I grew up. But I feel like my sister at some point in time would have wanted to start her own tradition there. But she seems more well, committed. No, because your to, sister, your sister grew up with the same yeah, thing. So exactly. That's the norm yeah. for her is still to go to mm-hmm. Angela's house for Christmas. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whether she lives in that house and that's her mom or whether it's grandma or whatever it is. Keep those traditions for as long as you can, man. Because once they're gone, they're gone. You know what I mean? Once people are gone, people are gone. And it's truly never the same. That is very true. Uh, Real quick, I'm just going to knock through this uh, list I found of the 16 most popular Thanksgiving foods ranked from worst to least. Are you ready? Worst to least. Worst to best, you mean? Worst to best, yes. Okay. 16 is something called Jello salad, which I don't know what that is. Oh, that's a joke. Is that a thing? That's no. That's 15 a is plain vegetables. What? That seems fake. That seems 14 fake. is green bean casserole, which is the first legitimately Thanksgiving thing. Green bean casserole has never been a thing um, in my family's Thanksgiving. I used to do it. But I love green beans, and I've had green bean casserole, and I think it slaps, so I'm not sure what people are upset about. Can I tell you what my thing about green bean casserole is? I like beans. Mm-hmm. I like the, the fried onion. I like all the ingredients. Yeah. But for some reason, when you put them together, it strikes me as a little bit underwhelming. I don't know why. It's like not... Yeah, I mean, I'm not looking for it to blow my doors off, but like green beans are tasty. Uh, 13, cranberry sauce. Do you prefer real or fake? 
Uh, you give me. I want. I want the ridges from ridges the can. The can. Okay, I need I the ridges from the can on the cranberry sauce. Twelve is dinner rolls, which feels kind of weak. Although, oh no, you gotta have them. You gotta, it's a vessel. Dinner rolls are a vessel. Traditionally, at my house, the joke has been that the dinner rolls are always trash, and somebody burns them. It's almost become like a thing now. Sure. Uh, they have turkey at eleven, which is. That's such a hipster pick. It's yeah. gross. Because they have cornbread in front of it. And I don't know if I've ever had cornbread. Such a hipster pick. Uh, butternut squash soup. That's not a real thing at nine. I've never seen that at my table. I have seen... seen butternut squash. Uh, I've seen sweet potatoes with the marshmallows on top, which mm, is very... Miss me with the marshmallows. Yeah. My niece and nephew like that. Uh, yeah, probably they're kids. It's candy. Seven is Brussels sprouts, which feels like it shot up the list in the last like five another years. Another hipster yeah, pick. Yeah, another pick. Oh, look at us. We love Brussels sprouts because we're such foodies. Uh, P.S. If you call yourself a foodie, come to the studio and fight me. Uh, six is mac and cheese, which I wish we had at my Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was also yeah. It was not a thing for me. They have pie at five, just any kind of pie, pecan, strong sweet potato, pick, pumpkin. Strong pick, though none of those were not strong picks, but pie is a strong pick. Four is mashed potatoes, uh, which I would say I have no beef with mashed potatoes at all like I have no issue with them oh you should beef is lovely with mashed potatoes what's up uh, but if I I feel like mashed potatoes are the last thing on the plate for me I'm going around to do all the other Thanksgiving stuff first and if the potatoes are there I'll eat them at the end I probably throw away more mashed potatoes than any other Thanksgiving item mm. at the end of the day you should come have Thanksgiving with the Irish we will teach you how to eat uh, three is gravy two is wine seems again really weird wine doesn't count wine, wine doesn't count uh, and one is stuffing which is about right uh, <laughs> as, even as yeah. a kid I think stuffing was the thing that I was the most looking forward to presumably because it's the most unhealthy for me so you gotta have for, for your Thanksgiving <laughs> plate you've gotta have turkey you gotta have the stuffing the mashed potatoes with the gravy whether you count them one or different or the other the dinner rolls cranberry sauce and I like like some corn I'm good. Mm. I mean, anything past that. I, mean, I would I would reach for something past that, but, like, Thanksgiving was always so traditionally in the same place. Now that I've been going to, like, different Thanksgivings, now that, like, I'm older, yeah. I'm a little bit more of, like, a refugee and everything sometimes on holidays, you get to see other people's traditions, which is nice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So... I went to, uh... Yeah, I remember going to uh, Thanksgiving at a girlfriend of mine in New York's one year. Her, yeah, her yeah. parents. It was... And it was so odd, not because the food was weird or anything, but because it was just five people. It was yeah. me and her and her sister and her sister's husband and the mom, and that was it. And I'm so used to having these big, gigantic like Thanksgiving messes that to have like an intimate Thanksgiving like that kind of threw me for a wire. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't yeah. know what to do with myself. Yeah, really. well, yeah, because you've got to run your little bit more like nuanced game there. <laughs> yeah. You can't just like yeah. be spamming folks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, when you go, that's that's how it was too. I mean, when I was a kid, like Thanksgiving dinner, you used to put all the tables in the house together and then go like through the entire house. Mm. You got like thirty people sitting at the table, and you know this and that. It's wild, and I like that. Mm. Uh, I have no other Thanksgiving stuff. So, is there any other Thanksgiving things you want to say? We can move on or I'll ask Heather later on as well but uh, any of the Thanksgiving stuff before I move on to other things this week man um oh the Bills are playing on Thanksgiving which doesn't sound like a big deal for anybody who doesn't like football but for me mm-hmm. having a 4.30 game at my family's house with the Buffalo Bills playing the Cowboys is actually relatively exciting for me I just my P, here's my Thanksgiving PSA which is like a Thanksgiving PSA I love it absolutely it's my public service announcement to everybody on Thanksgiving it's important to remember on a day like Thanksgiving when you will be so riddled with consumption yes that it is a marathon and not a sprint mm-hmm. believe you me mm-hmm. I understand the desire to make the biggest plate you can make at like the first stop you have at 11:30 and to start drinking Jameson as soon as you get up and start cooking Very I true 
buddy, I get it. I hear you. I'm with you. All I'm saying, it's a long day. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Pace yourself so you can enjoy the entire day. You know what I mean? Nobody likes yeah. to feel like garbage by like 5 o'clock and then like you need to go to bed at 7 and you miss all the good stuff that happens. So it's a marathon, not a sprint. And that's good advice to take with you through most things in life. Uh, excellent. I think that's fair. Uh, I'm a big proponent of that also, not just for holidays, but for buffets. If you go to a buffet, people feel yeah, the yeah. need to, like, load up that first plate. It's like, dude, no, you no, got no, time. No, no. Yeah, yeah, you're doing too much right off the bat. Yeah, it's always, take your time, pace yourself. I mean, we all remember the story of the tortoise and the hare. Mm. You know, that was, that was a documentary, so you should listen to that. Uh, last week, Kevin, you discussed that you had seen... Uh, the Joker movie. You went to I see did. The Joker movie. Did, and yeah, yeah. in between the time that we... Oops, my phone is trying to talk to me now. In between the time that you saw the movie and today, it has now become the highest rated, or the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time, which mm. is really, really crazy. It actually was before I went to see it, but I see well, what you're saying. It's wild. Uh, and also this week, there was a story that came out that uh, Todd Phillips, the guy who directed it, was signed on to do a sequel already. Sure. And then also, reports later this week said that that's not the case and there is no sequel coming out. My question to you is this. Do you think there will be a sequel to this movie? And without spoiling it, should there be a sequel to this movie? Uh, my answers to those might be unsatisfying, but I will say probably. Mm-hmm. There will probably be a sequel. Anything um, that's successful, I feel like people are going to want to make more money yeah, right? off of. It's, 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 yeah. It was so successful. Um, and maybe... It'll be good. Maybe yeah. there should be. They if if done right, like the, when the movie ends, there is ten billion percent room to tell mm-hmm. more story about that Joker. Yes, right. You know what sure. I mean. Like he really doesn't become like the Joker as we know him. And I don't think this is a spoiler, but like he doesn't really become the Joker as we know him till towards you know the end, the, yeah. the, the third act of the movie. Sure. We'll say for sure. Sure. Okay? sure. Um, so yeah, there's still room for him to do Joker stuff, to do things like that, you know what I mean? So they could definitely find something for a sequel. I wonder how you make the sequel in the sense that the movie seems so singular. All the best and most important stuff of the movie is yeah. about the process of this guy and the brain that becomes the Joker. Mm. Once he's the Joker, I think you're telling a different kind of story. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of hope they don't make a sequel. Yeah. I hope they don't. I would just let it stand on its own. You know what I mean? I tend to think that anything that's ever that successful is always going to get a sequel, whether it deserves it or not. Yeah, like, right? yeah. Like a lot of, I mean, yeah. usually, especially in today's day and age yeah. where all the movie studios want to franchise anything and everything they can, you know, they'll pop out. But I would rather see a sequel. Um, I would rather see a sequel with all the people involved trying really hard again as opposed to like one of those ones where it's like, oh, we've recast everybody and we've got this director from a TV show and we're just going to yeah. rush it out there. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, I think it'll happen. I, I'd like to see the first one before I make a decision, but I just, yeah. I'm just i assuming from a success standpoint they will. Hey, speaking of surprisingly successful Jokers, let's talk about Elon Musk for a second. Uh, uh-huh. Did you... Did you happen to get a look? And I'm sure you did, but for the sake of the audience, did you happen to get a look at his new Cybertruck this weekend? Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of the Elon Musk Cybertruck in this episode of Bad Radio because no one can see the car unless they look online? I mean, it was fine. Like, it looked dumb, but, you know... Con- did you think it looked Concept dumb? cars very often look dumb. When you see a concept car, though, a lot of times, like, if GM's, like, here's the concept Ford Mustang... By the time that concept gets to production, it does not look like that. Well, that's 100%. That's the thing. So when I said, when you when you were having me watch the Space Truck video, or whatever yep. the hell that thing is, um, 
And I, what was one of the first things I said? I'm like, 100% not road legal. <laughs> like, in order for that thing to go and meet the different, like, safety yeah. specs and, like, crash test ratings and all the different things you have I mean, to do to legally sell your cars to be licensed to run on American roads, there's a lot of different stuff you have to do. There's a reason they don't make cars that just, like, oh, here's a car that looks like you know, a bat, or here's a car that looks like a cat. Like, <laughs> yeah. Because cars have to have, there's certain barriers that you have to mm. meet and certain benchmarks that mm. you have to clear to make your car legal and mm. insurable. And that car doesn't look like they've given any consideration. They're like, yeah, here's a concept, doesn't matter what happens in crash tests. Uh, despite critics blasting it as ugly and impractical, mm -hmm. uh, the car, since the release, has already reserved 200,000 uh, people who put out a deposit on the car. Well, yeah, th think about all the idiots. Like, think about just the idiots we know. Just have... the idiots we know in a small town, think about. I have to be honest. I kind of think it's cool looking. I know that I'm. I know that it's the general cool. consensus is that it's a piece of. It's crap. cool in the sense that it's like distinct looking and like it's got that whole Tron thing going. Yeah, on. Yeah, it looks like, like the a whole Blade Runner thing. I, yeah, I get all that and like it's it's interesting and it's unique and I understand why rich people are getting it. And I understand why people who right. desperately want to be trendy influencers mm. are like getting it. You know what I mean? But um, nah, <laughs> that's nah. fine. Uh, I don't have anything from impeachment hearings this week. I'm sure that more will come out. Uh, I did have a, uh, I'm done with this guy for Representative Steve Castor, who, if you read about this earlier in the week, did a really, really horrible bad faith argument against uh, uh, Mr. Vindman, who was uh, the man who was being charged. Mm -hmm. He was my done with this guy. I don't know if you have any of one, but I do have one other political thing I wanted to bring up. Done with so many of these guys. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about uh, Mayor Bloombergo, who has said that he is now officially running for president. Me too. You know what? I'm going to officially <laughs> say that here on the podcast... I'm running for president. Um, so there we are. We're on the yeah. same ground. I don't know. Yeah, what... He's a fool. He's not one of those people who's going to cry because he's going to have to pay taxes. It's mm, a great point. I have so, Sam, I have so little tolerance in my life for adults <laughs> wa like, weeping about taxes. You know, I get it. It sucks. Nobody wants to pay it. But, like, you got to do it. What? You know what I mean? Like, people, I see people, when I get on Facebook, I see people all day just weeping about, oh, Cuomo and my taxes. Shut up. Just shut up. Shut up. I, I swear to God, I wish that I could win billions in the lottery hmm. so I could pay some of these people's taxes that they promised to never post on Facebook again. Well, I, I said it to Mike Hennessy when he was here, and he did not want to give me a straight answer. Uh, was basically the idea that, like, you know, taxes, can't you reframe the tax argument as, like, we need taxes to do these things, and without them it doesn't work? And that would... But no one wants to say that. No one wants to talk about the the benefits of raising taxes or paying your taxes. Quote it's I don't know. It, it's odd. It just feels like taxes is such a dirty word. Well, and that's well because I mean that's been specifically made a dirty yeah. word because it's a it's a cudgel used by you know the media to keep progressive mm. politicians in office because it's been used as like you know a boogeyman word. Yes. You know, but yeah, do I think adult conversations about. Uh, what we're going to spend, how we're going to spend it, where that money comes from. Uh, do I wish they were more frequent and common? Yeah, mm -hmm. I really, really do. I wish the people could be adults about it instead sure. of just weeping. Yeah. Weeping. Uh, I got one specific person in mind. Weeping. I've got one specific person <laughs> in mind that I will not name on the podcast, but I get, I know a lot of our core listeners will know who I'm talking about. Uh, well, you know what? While we're at politics, why don't we get to this thing that I can't believe we didn't talk about until just now. And we do have to go to an uh, interview in just a minute, but... I don't know when this happened, and it got a lot of buzz for us this week on Twitter. Did you see that Claudia Tenney blocked us finally? Oh, yeah, it's great. 
I don't crazy. exactly know. Now, my question is... Unbelievable. 100% rent-free inside your head, Claudia. Now you my, know where I live. My question is this. I have not been on Claudia's Twitter feed on my own merit since the last time she was running against Brindisi. I don't, like, go to her Twitter feed. Mm. So I didn't know until, like, I saw an article about her, like, a couple days ago, and I clicked on her name, and it told me we were blocked. I wonder how long we've been blocked. Long I bet time. you. I bet you it's been a long time, long and time, I just didn't sure. know any better. For sure, a long time. Um, yeah. She's a snowflake. She is... Snowflake. She is going to run against Brindisi again. Uh-huh. Do you have any concerns what about it? About the fact that she might win? Yeah, she might win. Mm. There's a great chance she might yeah. win. Yeah. Because I said last year, like, I, I, I'm very pro-Brindisi in that argument, between Brindisi and Denny, but he could have run a better campaign last year. She could have run a better campaign, and she didn't lose by that much. Uh-huh. So I wonder if she runs a better campaign, if he should be concerned. I don't know. It's... Something that's been on my mind the last couple of weeks. Yeah, she could beat him. Mm. She could definitely beat him. I don't like it. I was going to do a bit, one bit from other blog with you because I didn't know if you were going to be here for the second half, but we've already gone like 20, 27 minutes. So why don't we, we'll save that, and if you're here for the second half, we'll do uh, we'll do bits from other blogs. Okay. Do you want to say a Thanksgiving goodbye in case you're not here? I don't know if you'll be I don't know what's going on. A Thanksgiving goodbye? What, are they going to kill me? I don't know. Just say goodbye. Uh, goodbye, Thanksgiving. <laughs> It's been so thankful. Thanks, Kevin. Goodbye to you, Thanksgiving. All right. Great work. The great Um, turkey. We're now officially in Christmas season, so start thinking about what you need for Christmas. Nobody should be allowed to play Christmas songs before Thanksgiving is done. Have you had haven't you been hearing them everywhere? I've not listened to all sorts of stuff. Stuff like that going on. All right, well let's get to this week's interview. Uh with Ron, who is back uh, after a 40-episode hiatus. So it's been 40 episodes since we talked to Ron. And, of course, he brought his friend Teresa with us from the Westmoreland Historical Society. So uh, let's get to our conversation, our thanksgiving conversation with Ron and Teresa. We'll be back in just a moment. Before I get too far off track, I just want to let people know, um, last time you were on the show was episode 191, I believe. I think you posted it on Twitter today. I just looked at it right now, and it is 191. 191. Yes. So uh, I just missed the 200 by this this much. That's all right. I'm sure whoever you had you know was a much bigger deal than me, though. That so. is oh, so <laughs> uh, No, I've, I have a... I have. A, I told Joe Marino he was on for episode 100. Oh, that's 100, right. He was, was and he, he was on for episode 200. Yes. I told him if we ever get to 300, he can be on there. He can be on there. So <laughs> Joe has sort of stolen that from us, but that's okay. Well, I believe I'm getting very close to my 100th newspaper column in the really? record, too. I have to go back and count, but mm. you know, it's 52 a year, and it's been about a year and six months. Oh, so God. I must be very close. So I have to check it out and do something special for that. Now, it's been 40 weeks since you've been on the show. Okay. Exactly 40 weeks. Almost a full year. Uh, we're about... Three months away from a year, so about nine months. Forty How? weeks. Forty weeks. Yeah. 
How many? Uh, how has your last nine months been since last time you've been on the pod? Have things been good? My last nine months have been great. I wrapped up the job I had, and mm-hmm. I got another job teaching special ed and ELA mm-hmm. and resource room. And very nice. I'm fair. I'm a little bit closer to finishing my master's degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. August thirty first of twenty twenty one is my last day. I was hoping to finish it before I was fifty, but I'll, I'll finish it. As I cross into 51. Well, I, was, I was just talking about this with Kevin in the first segment. Uh, I am, I'm a month away from student teaching. Good for you. I am six months of student teaching and then I'm, awesome. that's it. And I'm having a bit of an existential crisis about yeah. the whole thing. And I, I think that's natural. It just, it What's goes, your crisis? I just, I'm not good at not having um, routine. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I've gotten very comfortable no. in the routine that we have now, and now I'm going to go from making a pretty good amount of money at my job and yeah. being the boss of this room to, to now i got to go <laughs> not making any money, right. and I'm going to be it's working a, big, a couple jobs. Right, right. And, you know, I'm, I always feel bad saying I feel like I don't have the, the gusto that I once did in my younger days, even though I'm not that old. But, uh, well, you can get it back. My first <laughs> high school teacher job, I was 49. So, well, and, this, they, and this is my first permanent job, and I'm 50, so are you it's also, never too late. I have to ask, because I think I saw you when I was roaming around the building, and I didn't want to come in because you were doing your whole shtick. Are you teaching at Utica College? I do. I teach at Utica College at night. What are yes. you doing over there? EN101. Ah, interesting. And what I usually do, and what I'll do this this time, is I usually get them to put me on the schedule for mm-hmm. EN102 in the spring, yeah. so that my kids can stick with me mm-hmm. for the year. What kind so of kids? So good. Is this undergrad kids? Yes, yes, one on one. So they're they're freshmen. So it's, you... <laughs> it's it's hard if you're an adjunct though because yeah. because you don't have you know there be there are always new people coming to college, and they don't know you. They never heard of you. So yeah. what I always tell my students. So that's one reason why I keep them for one on two because I don't have to worry about getting another crowd of people enough to make my class run. Yeah. So yeah. this way, because I know if, if you had me, you know, not to break, but I'm pretty fun as a teacher. <laughs> so if you had me in the fall and you can stick with me in the spring, you'll stick with me in the spring. Then I always tell them at the end, hey, if you know people coming to school next fall, well, tell them to look me up. And I have one more thing I gotta you know, ask you. When you're an adjunct, you gotta sell yourself because if you're looking no, at students, and it doesn't run. When I was trying to do the adjunct thing, when I got back from New York, I went to MV to try and do adjunct there. Cause I I've done it there, there as well, too, yeah. History was one of the few subjects that you could not adjunct in unless you had your master's. There were other subjects that they would let you oh, really? adjunct in for a bachelor's yeah. degree, but for whatever reason, English history is, like that yeah, too. Yeah. you needed that master's. Yeah. So, so this will be actually my second master's. Wow. Because I have one in English, mm. and I'll have one in education. Yeah. So yep. the first time when I did my master's, I was in my 20s. And it was, it seemed easier than in my 30s, in my 50s, <laughs> late 40s, but you know. I'm going to ask you this question now because Kevin and I just finished talking about it right before uh, okay. you guys came in. Earlier this week, and yeah. I, I don't mean to get too political, I found out this week, and I don't know how long it's been this way, that I was blocked on Twitter by our friend Claudia Tenney. <laughs> I've been, I've been I'm blocked. I'm one of the only people who's not blocked. I was by, just going to ask you if you had been blocked already and if I should and, feel like I'm and, being singled out and here. I, and I needle her I'm a blocked. bit too. Uh, Claudia Tenney, yeah, uh, who's running against Assemblymember Nissi on Twitter. She she blocked us on Twitter. Uh, I, it's probably been blocked for a long time. And I just she didn't has know. a lot of people blocked, but she's never blocked me. And I've actually like... You know, giving it to her a bit, and she's giving it mm-hmm. right back, and I have a good sense of humor about it, and maybe yeah. she does as well. So I, I'm, 
It's kind of strange, you know. I, I interviewed her. Of you know, I talked about that last time. That was yeah. pretty thing. So it's interesting that she's going to run again this year. I wonder. It if is interesting. I you know I, we've had Bernice on the show many times, right? Um, and I think that since he's been on the show last, since he since he's been in the office, there's been some. I feel like there's a lot of conversation about what's going on about whether he was going to support this impeachment thing or right, whether he wasn't. Right. And I try and think about this from the nuance perspective of yeah. you are trying to win a district in another year. Yeah. So there's like a certain way you Absolutely. have to handle certain things from right. a political standpoint. Right. But I get concerned because I don't think a lot of people give it that much nuance. They're just like, oh, he won't do this one thing I want. I'm going to be mad about it one way or the other. Yeah. And it makes me concerned that there's like a open lane for her to come back in now. It makes it, me very it, concerned. Okay, so you're on the same boat as me Because then. the right. same people who volunteered so much time for him and mm-hmm. helped him put him over the top... Yeah. I don't want them to push him so far to the left that he's not reelectable. That's that's sort of where I, my head's at. That's is, my you know? concern, and I think the great thing about Anthony Brindisi mm-hmm. is that he does represent people, and he listens to everybody in the district. And I think he would even go against what he would like to do, just because he's so committed to representing what people want. It's an interesting. So place. I, I worry about that. It's an interesting place for him to be because it ostensibly he's running. A national campaign, right? He's, yes. he's on a national uh, platform, right? Right. But he's still really just running three local campaigns. Yeah. If you're really thinking about it from like the the sixty thousand right. foot view down, right? Like yeah. he still has to win this local district plus you know Broome County and the he's got to win Binghamton, yeah. Utica, and all the and points in between and up to Camden. Yeah, I know that in Utica. A lot of times we have this um, mentality that like. Utica's yeah. mentality is the same mentality when you move outside of United County, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. No, it's not the case. Yeah, yeah. No, so, no. Living uh, in West Berlin, I mean, it is a whole different. Mm-hmm. It's a different culture, and people have different, yeah, different political beliefs. And stuff. Well, speaking of West Berlin, uh, why don't you introduce me to your friend here? <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to do this. <laughs> now, this woman, she is one of the founders mm-hmm. of the West Berlin Historical Society. Yes, and she was the first w- woman who was ever elected to the West Berlin Town Council. Oh, she served for twelve years on our council. She was involved in eight, eight, eight years. Okay, let's do that. Was good. Uh, two, two. She served <laughs> two, terms. two terms. Yes, and uh, also she is. I I wrote about her a few weeks ago. Mm. She's a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution. Oh, wow. And she has an exciting project that she wants to tell us about. Oh, wonderful. Well, please, the floor is yours, Teresa. Can you tell us a little bit about your project? Well, yes. And with our project of DAR is uh, Bruce Across America. Mm-hmm. As you know, how is it Arlington Cemetery every yes. year? Well, many other cemeteries and other towns and cities are now carrying the same tradition out on the same sa- second oh, Saturday of every, in December every year. And uh, we do it exact same time as Arlington Cemetery does, and we do it here at Forest Hill here in Utica. For, I was going to ask Forest Hill, yeah. And they do it, and we do it here at the old barrier grounds in Clinton. That's really nice. And uh, the, we put the wreaths for the veterans. Hmm. and. Um, was there like, a particular thing that sort of sparked this idea? Like, is it something you'd been thinking about for a while? Like, why suddenly now is, the, is well, it happening? Well, we, we use it as a fundraiser through oh, sure. DAR. And, but that's not the our reason for doing it. Our reason is to honor the veterans. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure. we uh, go, and it's a lot of work to it because we have to go around and go to different um, stores or individuals to get them to buy a wreath. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so what, this year we have more than doubled what we had oh, for amazing. last year. I think we're more aware of it. We put a nice program on in the cemeteries mm-hmm. last year. And uh, we had, you know, entertainment of speakers and singers. And uh, 
we had the Legion and different oh, ones there all honoring the veterans. And so it, it was nice. And this year is even going to be even bigger. So I don't mean to, to cut you off from it, but uh, where can people go if they're curious about getting involved, if they want to donate, maybe put you on the spot or anything? Can people go to, is there a website or is there a... Oh, what, for DAR? Yeah. Or, oh, yeah, there's a website for DAR you go to. or And anytime, and we're always giving out literature at different organizations and that for yeah. people to join DAR. It's <clears> like, uh, cool. like we were... We, do, we were at the school, just right at the elementary school a couple of weeks ago, and we were um, on Veterans Weekend there, mm. you know, talking about the, in the hall there, a few of us DR members, sure. and we had people come over that were their parents had come in for their program, and mm. they had come over to our booth, and like one lady come over and said, oh, I've always wanted to join DAR, how do I do it? Well, right there, we had a brochure to give it to her to make the contact, and we're always looking for new members. So, uh... We can give you the links too. That's great. Yeah, so I can. I can always my story good. too. That's so, cool. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so I just got to ask you. I want to start real quickly. Uh, so I'm just going to guess because I didn't have a ton of time to do as much research as I was. Like, <laughs> were you Were you born in this area? Were you originally born in Westmont? Oh yes. So, yes. Okay. so you've yes. been. Have you been here all your my whole life? life? Yes. Never any time when you went out, like stepped out of New York for any other reason, like any other places you've been. Lived? I've never lived any other place, but mm. I've traveled all sure. over the world. Mm. Now, what is it about upstate New York or New York that you like so much? Any particular reason you've decided to stay as long I as I like you have? the four seasons. Um, I, yes. I, you know, yes. I, I'm very comfortable. I, I just like what we, you know, have. I had no other reason to really move. My husband was employed. I was employed in the area, and and, and we owned our own business. So therefore, there, there was no reason to move. And uh, but now, you know, I actually have a bed and breakfast in the home that Wonderful. I grew up. And, and that's right next door to where I live it's now. It's a historic home, too. Oh, really? We just got a, we just got a plaque for, through the historical oh, society for her um, bed and breakfast, the, the building her bed and breakfast is in. So her, her uncle was a really prominent fig, figure in our history. Uh, oh, really? That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you talk about politics, mm, I, yeah. I, you know, I don't know what it must have been like then because this uncle that I've got the historical mm. marker and remembrance of, uh, Urban Newman, he actually was... Uh, he, at one time, you didn't. The county executive was also uh, a supervisor in the town. So in other yeah. words, we didn't have legislators, mm -hmm. all the legislators that we have now, from one from each town. Sure. So he served as uh, the chairman of Nida County. Plus, he was supervisor at the same time. So he he had to go to every town because he was chairman, and uh, so he served that. He also was. Well, we go on and tell you all about him? No, no, no. I'm a history major, so I can listen to you all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, he was also one of the people who uh, was the founder of the of the Oneida County Airport, too. Oh, yes. oh really? That's yes. Yeah, and, and a minister, and he was in the For Korean War. Years. He lost his now, leg. He did a lot of stuff. Now, growing up that close to somebody who has those kind of connections, whether it's political or local or community, what's the biggest change you've seen since growing up with that to today in terms of how we carry ourselves in terms of, like, politics? Is it, does it feel so much different? Loyalty. Loyalty. Yes, really? very much. Mm. It's not all. People uh, can't trust everybody today. Everybody was so much closer years ago. Mm. Everybody was close. You helped your neighbors. Mm -hmm. Today, it's it's a greedy, I call it a greedy world. Everybody's for themselves. I don't care what profession yeah. it is. They're, they're, they're out there. I don't like to see it. Um, and everybody else, you know, it's how they affect the individuals, how you make your decisions. I've always said, uh, and this is a little bit of a weird life lesson I've lived by in my life, which is if you give a little bit more than is expected 
and everyone gives a little more than is expected of them, we end up with a lot more at the end, right? Like, I can't Absolutely. guarantee that everybody I know is giving a little bit more than right. they're supposed to. But if you are that person who starts to give a little bit more than what you would, than what you're asked to do, you set right. a good precedent for people. And again, I try and think about this a lot as an education guy. I want to give these good examples. To it's your interesting because at my school we do a lot of social emotional education. Mm. That's a really yeah. big thing in our state to teach kids character building and resilience and uh, civility, which is I think really important too. I think a... there's. Do you think there's less civility than there was in the past? Yes, and but you know I think what is so hard for me to adjust to this way of living is because I was brought up the other way. I was brought up always to do for others, yeah. put yourself last. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm probably was extreme. As I look back now, I think how many times, how many more opportunities I would have had out there yes. if I had only thought of myself. But I was always taking the time to help, whether it was family or friends. I always was given. You know, there's all that little extra. And I'm not sorry that I did it, but I look back, I missed out on a lot. Yeah. But now, you know, and I don't expect people today to be that way because it's, it's hard. It's, it's a different world today. But if, like you said, I think that's really, if everybody would just give a little bit. Yeah, I, and I think the idea, you know, it, it's such a, I don't know if it's the social media aspect. I don't know if it's the connectivity between people. I I always go back to this uh, this strange uh, philosophical idea, or psychological idea. It's called Dunbar's number, and it's not totally 100% real. It's just a concept. And the mm-hmm. idea is I've never that, heard about it. So I'm going to screw up the thing. You can look it up online. Folks have heard me talk about <laughs> the show before. It's the right. idea that yeah. human beings are not meant to like be in societies of more than like 150 people because once you get past that many people in your life, you can no yeah. longer make... Connections between like friends and equations. Oh. It's too many people for you to uh, to account for, right? right? And a long time ago, if we lived in small groups or small communities or whatever, there was of 150 people, someone yeah. is the best baker, and someone's yeah. the best barber, and someone's the best craftsman, and that's just the right. other people you know. Now, because of the social media, because of the world we live in, because we're yeah. so interconnected. You're comparing yourself not to the 150 people you know in your life, but to the 150 million people out there on the internet, and it makes yeah. you feel like anything you do is compared to such a national level that it's like, well, why am I even doing this? Because hmm. you're only comparing yourself to everybody else out there who's the best at it, right? Yeah. I shouldn't want to be Mark Marin, podcaster. to the. I should just want right, to be the best right. podcaster that right. I know of yeah. my, my crew. Right. And uh, and again, this is a I've, I've probably butchered this theory, but it's something I, I do think that we are. There's so many people we worry about now. It's not yeah. just do the people in my life matter to me, my family, yeah. my friends, the people I work with. It's what do strangers on the internet think about what I have to say? What do people in the right. general public have to? And that's something we never really worried about right. thirty years right. ago, forty well, years ago. Well, you had no way of communicating with all those people. Well, the about. barrier of entry is a lot yeah. more open now. You can yeah. just put whatever you want out there now. Yeah. Which I yeah. think probably ties into what has become of the political world that yes. we live in. Now I, I think gotta, it is so important, especially for kids to know hmm. that if there's a life lesson I could give them hmm. is to take take every opportunity that you get in life and do whatever do the most you can with it. like when they offered me the column, you know, I Every, every week, I treat it like I'm writing for Vanity Fair or mm-hmm. the New York Times. I mean, I really yeah, do. <laughs> I mean, I really do. Like with the historical society, you know, Teresa can tell you. I mean, I treat our historical society like it's the Metropolitan Museum. You know, you have to give a hundred percent to whatever you're, you're doing. It's and, like what I told Brian you know, when Brian was here doing yeah. the United County Historical Society. I right. was like, I am a history major. Yeah. I have a degree in history, uh-huh. and I've still not gone to my own 
historical society because life reasons, whatever, whatever right, the reason right. is. Like, that's disheartening, right? Yeah, like, the is. fact that somebody right. who is in the wheelhouse for who would be going to historical society right. isn't really tying right. in, and it's just that life gets in the way. Yeah. Uh, but And that's not an excuse. It's just a shame, right? right? Like, it feels hard to get people to pay attention to their local history when we're right. so connected to the larger world around us. I think the only way to do it is, like, we do it at our West Berlin mm-hmm. Historical Society, and, yeah. like, I do it because I do the PR. It's just to be relentless mm-hmm. and to be make it offer so many programs they can come to and mm-hmm. offer interesting things and you know plus also i i promote the crap out of whatever i'm involved that's, in so i think that's really important well, you gotta really push, push, push. i was just thinking about that today um with our historical society it is a little different than most historical yeah. societies most historical societies you think you got to go to them and pull out a book and and do some right. research yeah. and and like you say if you're studying history that's the last thing you want to do is go and look at <laughs> more, more, right? yeah, more research but, yeah. but we what we do we try to do programs that yeah. are fun and uh, we talk about things in everyday life. Like yeah. right now, we're doing the roads. And We're doing roads yeah. once once a month. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you. You just had that article you're promoting about right now. The through how way, the throughway yes. changed Westmoreland. That's right. really interesting. How did you guys come to that idea? Like, what? It was a member of our group named Dave Schafferstein who had the idea of each month we'll choose a road. Throughout the month, we'll find whatever we can on the road. Our own memories, not so much my memories because mm-hmm. I'm younger, but whatever memories people have, we're talking to people, then we come and we kind of share it, and then I just record it through my phone and we'll work it up into a column. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the most interesting things about history it really are those like personal connections. You mm-hmm. know, uh, she rode on the way to. Canada Joe Harry was that oh right? yeah yes right. home, of, home of Maine Utica's Justin Parkinson actually what, oh really and yeah. one one of our members uh, she has a farm up in Lowell mm-hmm. by the Thruway up in Spencer's Settlement which is by Lowell and the original exit entrance to the Thruway went through her farm and it's just like that kind of stuff will be lost unless we're the ones to record it so you know I gave Brian a book last time he was here and it was about upstate New York and another county and uh, he gave it back to me I gotta see if I can find it for you guys before uh-huh. I leave because I'm very curious if you've oh. ever read it it's called Cradle of the Middle Class by Amy Ryan it's really really quite I've never good. read it no I'll no, buy that I'll have to get it for you it's really 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 cool yeah, and yeah, I'll find it for you guys but Teresa's right you have to make it fun we have yeah. Halloween we had a haunted house we had someone from Yucca College an actress who was in our haunted house oh yeah we had a top notch haunted house this year we have a flag day party with ice cream free ice cream and a musician and we come. have the, the one room schoolhouse. Oh, now yeah, this is bringing yeah. uh, small children in to and, come and see it and come to see it the school um, yeah, yeah. bringing groups and and that's like last week we had uh, some of the groups come kids in kids come in and write on slates no. and it's like and they were actually yeah. signed up in school that they wanted first and second grade they wanted to know about history we have a really we have so a small weird. historical society but I would say we have one of the coolest ones uh, well it's so oh. weird about living in New York and in yeah. on the East Coast because our History goes all the way back to the colonies, oh, and like right. we can go exactly. dig way, way far back to yeah. like coming over in like early times. Whereas, I guess if you live in like different, you know, states farther west, your timeline for your local history is a bit different. But yeah, yeah. New York history feels very connected to right. English history and world history and everything else because of the way our, it's, our yeah. founding as yeah. a nation. You know, yeah. And that's what makes me laugh as a history teacher is all my kids understand American history. Like, they get, like, you know, they come over, but global history. Once we get to that, that's oh, all. Sorry. It's too much for them. It's too complex. It's too many, like, and, you know, let me on. say this, too, because another one of Teresa's relatives, uh, 
is Anna Coons, who founded mm. our West Point Town Pool, which is such a big part of our town now. So, mm. so she was a very interesting person too. Well, it seems like uh, Teresa, basically from what we've, from what I've heard from Ron, from what you've said, you've been really, really connected to West Berlin your whole life. Oh now, yes, definitely. Yeah, so I've always been involved. My children in school. When, you know, they were. I was involved mm. with anything that they had. Mm. I always supported it. Um, like Ron said, you know, my all my relatives are, you know. From my father's side of the family lived in the town of West Milan, and my aunt, who lived next to be 99, who was the founder of West Milan Pool, mm-hmm. and uh, so, you know, she was a great one to help me promote history, too. So what was the, was that sort of the reason why you decided you wanted to be one of the founders of this society? Was it just something you had always wanted to do, or...? Well, I just found out that the more and more I got involved, and first of all, I was on the Bicentennial Committee oh, wow. in, in 1976, and that's where we, from there we started, uh, the, uh, we had a group called the Bicentennial Committee. Mm-hmm. We put on a, probably one of the biggest celebrations in central New York was mm-hmm. when I got involved. And when I got involved, we collected pictures, we wrote a book, uh, West yeah. Westland's book was fun. written. And when I kept finding out more and more stuff about Westland in the past, I was really interested. Uh, like I say, you know, it was, they, I just felt, boy, this is interesting. I didn't know this. I didn't know that. And, um. My, my father, by the time I got involved, my dad had passed away, and so I couldn't ask him things, and I just found out from other people being involved, and Westland has a lot of history. You know, there's a lot of things that took place in Westland. We, you know, we have the Westland Foundry, which was, for many years, was the, the oldest you know, foundry in the United States. It was still operating until the 80s, so yeah. it was really kind of interesting that we had yeah. that. When did you, uh, so you were the first woman, Ron was telling me, you were the first woman elected to Westmoreland Town Council. You served there for eight years. Do you remember what year that was, just so I can? I, well, yeah, I was elected in 1977. 1977. Yeah. And I'm just so curious, and the reason I think about it is, it was it, it was hard then back then because people yeah. pointed out, like, there were, they didn't get something in the highway um, at the time, and it was it was actually on before I was even involved. Like I was elected in November, and the budget's done in November. And when it came January, they didn't get what they wanted, and they said, "Well, and the, you know, somebody on the other side said, well, that's because you got a woman involved.' I didn't even have a chance <laughs> to vote. You know what? It's it's funny you say that because I was I'm so curious. Was there pushback because you were a woman at the time? Like, did oh it... yeah, if anything didn't yeah. go just right, that's because you had a woman in there, mm. and um, but. Actually, I think I really came across really well because each year I got more, each time I ran, I got more votes. The year I lost, I actually had many more votes than I ever had, but we ran, but they split the Republican Party, you know, so that's how I, I actually got more votes, but, you know, they split the Republican Party, so you lose some votes there. Do you but. think, does it discern you that in 1977, you're doing this for eight years, and today, in 2019, 2020, we still seemingly can't get a woman elected president does that bother you in any particular way or does it not surprise you no i i believe it's the person you know yeah. it's you know it's actually uh i don't think because somebody's a woman they'll do a better job and i don't think because they're a man it's the person yeah. they got mm-hmm. it's the work they do that you want to see done it's not the person and um but there is that hang up i know uh, with certain yeah. people and with uh, a lot of you know they've come a long ways now to respect the woman in any job but oh yeah it just makes me feel weird that in today's 21st century that we live in you know that there are still people who are like well i just i can't bring myself to vote for a woman even if i agree with it i don't understand that concept like i never understood the idea 
Again, the idea was if you have the best plans and you're the best person, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter, it shouldn't matter at all. Right. But uh, right. you know, no, I know. That's where I we know. are, unfortunately. But. I think it's like I said, the individual. I think I get the determination mm-hmm. of doing something as a woman with, you know, not because I'm a woman, but as an individual. I guess I get the genes from my grandmother mm-hmm. back in the late 1800s. She came from England and to, to uh, came to Pennsylvania to be a weaver, mm-hmm. and then Clark Mills when they had the mills that she was hired there in uh, the early 1900s. And she came all the way across herself, earned money here, and then brought the rest of her family over from England. So I think of somebody, when you travel that long, I have, and then I had a grandmother on the other side of my family that traveled from Italy all the way over here by herself. Not with a husband, both of them came over by themselves. So there shows a woman doing something by themselves. And I guess I must carry the genes from both of them, being you, an individual. Well, you do, yeah, you do. Yeah. Women built the country, you know, and they, right. Yeah, well, no. you know, I grew up with, you know, my I, my grandparents on my Italian side, mm-hmm. I, I had the one grandfather who came over from Italy and then just started a new family here. There's like a, there's a Familaro family somewhere in Calabria uh-huh. that I've never met, right? Yeah. But the Syrian side of my family yeah. uh, that came over whenever, you know, we came, they came over together and I grew up with three aunts yeah. Like, it was all. It was a very all women family. It was me yeah. and my grandfather yeah. and six, four aunts and three nephews and cousins and all that kind of thing. And right. I think it was important growing up around women like that for me. It helped oh, me. I'm sure you know, it was. I right. feel like right. growing up around like powerful women yeah. who were heads of the family and sort of yeah. taking care of everybody. And I grew up in a divorced household, so like mm-hmm. there's like a lot of ideas of my old man just not being around. Yeah, yeah. That affected the way that I felt about right. the maternal, you know, fem- uh, the maternal power of the women in my family and what they right. meant. So it was always odd when I would go out to people who did not have that. And I think that's, yeah. it's much like anything else. I grew up with teachers in my family, so I have a certain respect for education right i grew right. up raised yeah. primarily by women so i have a certain respect for how right. you know women, women raise their family but right. i that's where i miss the boat I'm, I'm sure there are so many people like me who have different experiences and that has right. tainted or changed how they feel about certain yeah. things and it's it's all in i think experience. that is with the teachers on that when yeah. you speak of teachers that's another thing on my my aunt that we were spoke of here earlier that uh, the founder of the Westland Pool. She was a uh, teacher, and uh, actually, and then my father's twin sister who was my aunt Grace. She actually was superintendent of all the one-room schoolhouses. So I yeah. mean, so I have you know, and a lot of them were cousins and great aunts, and a lot of teachers and superintendents and all like that on my dad's side of the family. So the education was very important. It's super. There's not a teacher in it, uh, in every family you know because <laughs> yeah but i think there's something to yeah. be said for it i mean there's going to be a certain number of people a certain percentage of the pop population who are intractably biased or bigoted or disrespectful of whatever and sure. i think sometimes the only thing you can do about it is just ignore them and set a great example in your life and that's the and thing to be what be yeah. what you want other people to be go out and project that you it's know? tough as an educator to yeah. take a kid who is struggling and you talk to him and you try and right. get him motivated and you try and get him going, especially when the parent had a bad experience at school for whatever reason. Maybe they yeah. had a tough time. Yeah. Maybe they were picked on or bullied or whatever the reason is. Yeah. They have that negative connotation of education right. and right. what it means and what it offers you. Yeah. And they pass that down. And that is a yes. hard break Especially when you reach out to the parents to talk about right. it, and they're like, "I don't care about this because yeah. school is a scam," right? Like, yeah, that's right, really right. the problem in modern education is mm-hmm. 
how much connection are we getting with the parents? Do the parents yeah. want to be connected? Do they have a positive connotation between what school can do for you? Um, yeah. That's those are all tough questions, especially in a public school the way I do it. It's yeah. a bit different. Oh very yeah, big, parents so. is an important part of the education, yeah. and a lot of parents don't realize they feel that the schools should do it all. Yes, yeah, and and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that all parents need to do more. It's definitely as the on the education side, there is a disconnect between teachers and parents and kids and whether it's because a lot of times for my kids because of my program I work with the parents don't speak English so it's really tough on the kids having to be the English translator for their parent that's tough Um, and again and also they're teenagers this is like I heard someone (laughs) say something somebody at this we had an event last this week at the church that I go to the Lowell Mm -hmm. Methodist Church called Authors Night yep I saw you talking about this on your Twitter and one of the authors said People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yes. And I think sometimes you just have to focus mm-hmm. on that, like that with your students and just show them how much you care about them. And I think, you know, I, I guess I get this so much because I am a teacher. I'm a journalist. I do so much publicly that I get a lot of, I get at times criticism from all sides. Oh, yeah. But you learn to just be yourself and focus mm-hmm. on what you, how we, how you think people should act, and you act like that, and then the rest of it kind of falls away. Uh, I had a, prof- a teacher who works over at Proctor now. I won't name him, but he's a one of the the mentors of my teaching yeah. career. The guy who really helped me uh, sort of keep my mind straight when I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. Like this is a mistake. I don't know if I just you know what I mean. Like he was yeah. the guy who sort of talked me back into it. And he actually gave me a really good book about, like, leadership because my concern was, you know, I feel like I'm not getting to these kids. I don't know how to, like, I'm not good at being the boss. I'm good at being, like, the number two guy. So now being the boss, I'm bad at, like, telling people to do stuff. Um, And what he sort of said is, like, you know, there's there's a craving for that. Like, some of these kids, they they want that structure because they don't have it in their lives. Right. Um, People don't have – people don't have – positivity in their lives the yes. people that they see whether it's in real life in a classroom or whether it's in their community mm-hmm. or whether it's in the media because i do all three you don't have a lot of positivity in the well, world Well, sometimes it's the background now you were talking about your um yes. parents some being from italy and so forth uh, italy and syria yeah. yeah did they speak english as a child yes now when i say my grandparents did not come over as adults, they came over as children. Like my okay. grandparents on the Syrian side, my grandfather, I want to, I, I think I'm correct when I say this, I want to say he was an orphan when he came oh. here. So he was adopted by a Syrian family as well when he came oh. when he came here. My my Italian grandparents uh, were young when they came here. Their parents in Calabria spoke Italian. Mm-hmm. I heard uh, Arabic and Italian occasionally in the household, but very, very rarely. Well, because yeah, well, the one I gave that example, my mom was, you know, born here and, in Utica, and then uh, grew up in Clinton. And she, but when she went to school as uh, first grade, mm-hmm. she did not speak because her parents uh, spoke Italian, so she did not speak English. Mm-hmm. And the, I think that was one of the things that she always embedded in us as children mm-hmm. that, you know, not to discriminate and yeah. always do the best that you can. Mm-hmm. And I think that was great from the background she had because she remembers the experience that she had, how she was treated because she couldn't speak English. And I think if more people would think of things like that. Yeah, the, right. the other one I think of all the time because I have a lot of kids who are English language learners. They've learned English here in America. Mm-hmm. 
So they'll get uh, an English assignment, or let's say a social studies assignment, for example, mm-hmm. and it will be a question like, "How did Martin Luther's, you know, not, uh, theses affect the religious, you know, atmosphere of Europe in this time?" Right. And you'll read the question, you'll go through the answer with the kid, and it's only ten minutes in when you've gone through. You're like, "Wait a second, you don't understand what half of these words are because you don't know the vocabulary. No one's talked it to you, right? They don't know what really patriarchy hard. means, right? Right. And once right. you explain what the word is that they don't understand, right. then suddenly those connections come in. But we we take for granted that when kids come to like tenth grade or eleventh yeah. grade, they are prepared to be in tenth and eleventh grade, and it's. Almost never the case. You can never. No, it's almost never the case. As a yeah. teacher, you yeah. can never take that for granted. <laughs> no, <laughs> you, even yeah. in college, you really, no, you know, true. you have to just take people as a. Every, every day is a blank slate, and every person, you know, I, I think, I think for me, that's just a little bit easier because I do it so much because mm-hmm. I write this column for people of all backgrounds to read it and all interests and. I you know but it's something that yeah you do and because I teach special ed ELA yeah. students who read at a first and second grade level and then at night I go teach college mm-hmm. so I go back and forth. Big juxtaposition between and then <laughs> there is a big <laughs> juxtaposition, that, yeah. but it's it's really the same thing because mm-hmm. they're they're people I'm their teacher I'm trying to give them a passion for English mm-hmm. the ELA English language mm-hmm. arts they yeah. know the language but. For you know what English is, reading and writing, communicating. Then in the middle of all that, I write this column that's for everybody. Yeah. So I think if you just stick to like what it, what is the essential thing, then it's then it then it works. Then it works. I you know I because I work in a public school system, and yeah. I I talk about education a lot. I remember yeah. not too long ago, maybe last year, I went to a fair where I represented my program, and they had kids from all different school districts. Some you know some in the city, some way out in the sticks. All over the place. Mm-hmm. And I had a group of kids come up to me and just sort of ask me, like, oh, you teach at this place? I heard all the kids there were thugs. Mm-hmm. To which I said, define for me what you mean when you say thugs, right? right. And right. that, of course, made things awkward. They didn't want, <laughs> they didn't want to say what they were actually <laughs> right. yeah. going to say yeah. to me. Uh, and I get this question a lot of times, like, oh, what's it like working with kids who are of, like, diverse backgrounds? And, like, right. you know, I, I have a lot of kids who are... You know, Catholic or Muslim or Jewish right. or uh, they're from Somalia or they're from wherever, right. like a million different places. And the thing that outweighs all of those factors, whether it's religious or financial or whatever it is, is that they are teenagers and they like teenager stuff. So there is right. this, right. there's a generational right. connect that goes beyond all the things that you would think would separate kids in like right. a situation like that. They do not care that the other person has the hijab on or speaks right. a different language. They don't, or, right. Because right. you know what they're right. doing? They're on their phones, they're yeah. doing yeah. text messaging, they're like doing the TikToks and the stuff. They have enough that's, common culture. Yeah, that that common can, culture right. is stronger to them than any of the right. stuff that we sometimes look down and be like, I can't believe, how do these kids? Because right. they don't think about it like that. It's not right. about that. It's about being communal in whatever aspect it is at that age and living in the life you live as a teenager. So Absolutely. Yeah, and I think about it all the time. So. And one thing that people pick up on, no matter who they are, mm-hmm. no matter who they are that you're communicating to, whether they're my special ed kids or my college kids or mm-hmm. my readers, is just enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Yes. If, if, if you go in there, people pick up on your emotion, mm-hmm. no matter whether... No matter what you're trying to teach them or say to them, they pick up on that. And if you if you approach everything you do with passion and enthusiasm, mm-hmm. you know when I interviewed for the job, I told the committee that was interviewing me. I explained to them how I had been sick for disabled yeah. for 13 years. I was out, out of work, and I said one thing I will tell you is that every day I come to work, 
everybody will know that to me, no matter what the job is, no matter what the day is, no matter how it's going, I am living the dream because I'm off the couch and out of bed. <laughs> and if you go through life, though, with that well, attitude, you go through life with that attitude, no matter what it is, historical society or or the town pool or, or this or teaching, if you have that attitude about your life, people will respond to that. Yeah. And they Count your blessings. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and will, people... You know, you know that's 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 what'll make things work for you. We've talked about so. a lot in the podcast before, and it's about creativity. Whether you are, that too, I, I'm yes. a creative type person. Right, I, I always right. have been. Whether it was playing in bands, or writing blogs, or trying to write novels, or writing stories, or doing yeah. podcast. Are you artistic too? I try. I'm not a great drawer or painter yeah. necessarily. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, I was told that all of my humans that I draw look like Hulk Hogan. Like big muscular. <laughs> no matter what, whether it was a man or woman, it was always very well, muscular and gigantic. Sometimes if you're creative with music and writing, yeah. it's yeah. artistic too, you know. Right. Well the point I was getting at I think is this podcast sort of filled that role. I am the kind yeah. of person who feels like they need to get that creative right. spark right. out. Some way or another. Well it's through this podcast or through yeah. a song. And if it wasn't this podcast, I would find another way to do it. I think certain okay. people, whether it's if you're that kind of person, you are driven to create content, right. to, to be creative and to get that creativity out to the world to share it with them. And that's just like a weird neurotic drive that I've struggled with my whole life. No, I, I totally well, understand. That's, that's a way of making people right. think right. what uh, they can do better. Yeah. Ron, uh, i got to ask you guys, how did you guys initially come into uh, into each other's orbit? I'm just so curious. Well, I was recovering from chronic fatigue. Mm-hmm. My mom was in the historical study, so she asked me to go to a meeting. So I did, and uh, I thought this is kind of fun to sit around a table and talk to people. Mm-hmm. And um, so I said, "So do you want to join?" I said, "I will, but I don't want to get. I don't want to be on the board. I don't want to be responsible sure. for stuff." Sure. Then um, before I knew, it, I was the president. And I, <laughs> and I said, "I want to do this, and I want to do that, and we got to do this, and I'm going to start this." And then you know, everything just kind of flowed from that. I became part of the town pool and then I ran for town council I didn't win but because of that I became this columnist which actually kind of fulfilled all the stuff I wanted to do you know I get to represent the town and I'm go out to meet people and I people know West Berlin through the column so I think if you just say yes to stuff Mm -hmm. everything falls into place you meet wonderful people you know don't forget them too. One of the things that you really like is when you first met us, all of us, that we all knew as grandparents. Oh, right, right, <laughs> yes, yes. And people really yeah. need to reach out and become friends with people that are from a different generation. Yes. And you have you should have younger 100%. friends and older friends and friends from Utica if you're in Westland and friends from Westland if you're in Utica and all that stuff. It'll it'll enrich your life so 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 much. Uh, Ron, Teresa, I want to thank you guys so much for, for coming on the show today. Thank uh, you. I've, left, I've kept you on much longer than I already planned on. but uh, I always oh, talk so much. I know, it's not it's my topic. Uh, <laughs> See, it's a well, good thing we're not really on the radio. Because we'd be flowing through the commercials all, and through the news break and through the weather. They won't put me on radio. I can't tell you. <laughs> uh, so, um, before I let you guys go. Our historical study meetings go on to like 9 o'clock, 9.30. No, okay. my, my staff meetings at work go on for way longer than they have any reason. Uh, we're going to do some lightning round questions. Real okay. Quick if you guys... Uh, and I will go serpentine fashion back and forth. Uh, Ron, good. there are new questions for you since you've oh, been Oh, no, on. I was all prepared. You were all prepared. I know, you have new <laughs> questions. Uh, but, Teresa, I guess we'll start with you. These are the same five or six questions we ask everybody who's been on the show. Uh, Teresa, when you wake up in the morning, I know this answer already, how do you take your coffee? 
Black. Black coffee. Now, I have to ask you, because I ask everybody who says black, did you always drink black coffee, or did you have to wean yourself into it over the years? I've always drank black always coffee. Dr- See, that's the move. Just never dr- put, never put cream and sugar in to start, and then you don't have to wean yourself off, like I've been failing at for two years now. <laughs> well, actually, I did uh, drink sugar when I first started drinking coffee, yeah. a little bit, but I found that I never I never could make that perfect cup of coffee. It never tastes right. <laughs> that's and once right. I Got rid of the sugar. I like coffee better. Huh. My grandparents, when I was a little kid, the, we were Syrian, and what we would do for yeah. dessert was you would get like watermelon and Syrian cheese, and you would have coffee, and that was like what we'd sit around after dinner. And watermelon, do. really? Watermelon and Syrian cheese. I don't, I don't understand That's what it was from. Yeah. It was something we always used to do. And everyone would drink coffee in my family, but I was a little kid, and they would yeah. not give me coffee, but no, I wanted no, no. to be. I wanted to be involved. So my grandmother, bless her heart, she she would get me a cup of coffee. With just a little drop of coffee in the bottom, <laughs> and then put a bunch of sugar and a bunch of milk. It was just, and she would call it white coffee. There was uh, no real coffee in it, but I felt like I was part of the crew. Yeah. So as a kid, that's, that's what I remember drinking. That's great. Uh, and Teresa, I'll give you one more. Do you remember your first automobile? Your first automobile that you ever drove? That I drove or yeah, rode? That you owned. Your first personal automobile. The first. It's a tough question, I know. I've had many cars in my life, so unfortunately, <laughs> I don't remember any of them. Well, I can answer what she's thinking, because sure, I have absolutely. a great one. I bought a car from my parents. It was a station wagon, but it was a former stock car race. Oh! Car. It was a former stock car that was a station wagon, and it had made, it had made wheels. Mm. And I drove it for about a year. I drove it, because my first year of college, I went to Herkimer County mm-hmm. Community College. It didn't work out, so we won't talk about that. <laughs> but it had no, it had no, like, um, wiper fluid thing. Back then, it was it was from the 60s. It was in the 80s, but it was from the 60s. It had no wiper fluid, so I would get all this mud on my windshield yeah. going to HCCC, like if it was raining out, and I had to pull over yeah. on the throughway and spray Windex on the car. <laughs> That someone I, someone drove into to me and they 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 told it and that was the end of that so it wasn't my fault it was my first accident. Uh, well, actually, the first car that I drove and that I really had you know able to drive quite a bit was my Nancy a fifty two Studebaker. Wow, a fifty two Studebaker, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> See, I like a lot of the older cars. Like my grandparents, you know, had my grandfather had a Grand Marquis growing up. Mm. I remember that was the first big car I'd ever seen, like the first yeah. long mm. car, Mercury. Uh, do you remember your first live music event or concert you ever saw in your life? That's a tough one, too. I know. <laughs> uh, I'll Probably give you a Elvis. You saw Elvis? Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Where? Oh, my gosh. Here? Locally? Oh, I'm just trying to think where he wow. was. Wow. Uh, Elvis. I just read a whole... I, read, I did the big deep dive on Elvis on the internet last yeah. week. What a fascinating story of his career and how like they treated musicians. It's such a... Yeah. Weird oh, time yeah. now. The way things are oh, so different no back then. Well, like with Elvis, one of the things with Elvis was that it, he was not only brought, he was brought into school programs like mm-hmm. in English. I can remember, yeah. you know, you'd have to write a, a composition on, do you think he'll be like all the rest of the rock stars and fade away or will he always be famous? Yeah. You know, because everybody, you know, through the years, that any oh, musician yeah, yeah. would be famous, you know, and then we would fade out, another one would yeah, come. Yeah. But they always, you know, there was always so much thing that was brought. Was, uh, That's cool. Was he like a, I, I'm, I'm hard to say now, and I was like, was it like a, 
a teen idol heartthrob type of thing? Were there women just lined up to see him? Was he that kind of famous at the time? Was it like... Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yelling, yeah. screaming. Yeah. Just like they yeah. do anybody today. <laughs> well, because I, I, I haven't been to a concert in so many years where that's like been the vibe. I'm just so yeah. curious to see what that yeah. would have been like. Uh, Ron, I have a question here for you. Uh, okay. What is the worst job you've ever had that you're allowed to talk about? The worst job I ever had that I was allowed to talk about? Oh, I was PR director at the Utica Zoo for six months right oh. after college. It was a... a of director who's long gone. Mm-hmm. It was way back in the nineties. She was terrible. It was a terrible, <laughs> toxic. Just hard. Nasty just meat job. on you, or just tough yep. to. No, just she was a toxic, nasty person. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so important that it's a boss tough. be yeah. be supportive and uh, yeah. Well, it's like I was telling you, this is why I struggle being the boss because part of my mo is I don't like telling other people to do stuff for me. My well, whole mo is I feel like I need to do stuff myself because yeah. I'm I don't know if I'm you know retentive or as I feel like I if I screw it up. I can also take the credit for it. Like, no, yeah. my staff is fine. I'm the one who did it. Let me take the blame, right? Right. So the idea, that's the biggest struggle I've had. Well, this person just had a lot of negative issues. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, non nonprofits mm. can attract that, unfortunately. Yeah, they, they, mm. they tend to attract people that wouldn't make it in uh, business. Mm. And that's a real problem for nonprofits to, you know. Uh, I'll give you one more, and then I'll come back uh, to Teresa. What's a movie that you always stop and watch if you are flipping channels, no matter what? Is that for me? That's for, for you. That's for you. Okay, well, I'll stop and watch on Flipping Channels. What do I watch all the time? Well, we don't have cable, so it doesn't come up too much. But every year around this time of year, I this is my favorite Christmas movie. You'll never guess what this, this is. Eyes Wide Shut. It's a great Christmas movie. Because it takes place at Chris, Chris Christmas. I find it endlessly fascinating. What is that again? Eyes, Eyes Wide Shut. shut. It is it's a Stanley, Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick movie, yeah. It's a very bizarre, dark yes. movie that's um, <laughs> that's about the Illuminati oh, and all this stuff. And oh, it, but it, it has the most beautiful scenes. And uh, I'm a big Stanley Kubrick. It mark, is so I, endlessly interesting. I read about it all the time. Yeah. I listen to podcasts about mm-hmm. that. So it's it's my favorite. I have a uh, remind me when we're done. I have a podcast I got to share with you that um, I think they talked about it already on the podcast. But if wow, not, I'll, I'll, I'll to, bring it up for you. Um, I would love to hear that, uh, Teresa. Uh, I think I prepped you with this one already. If you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your relative, who would it be and why? You said it can't be a relative. Can't be a oh, relative. I didn't tell her that rule. Oh, you can, if, it's, if it's a good relative, yeah. I try not to do relative, but if, if you want to be a relative, it's okay. Well, yes, because really, the one I really, really yeah. would like to be was my uncle that I did the yeah. historical market yeah, for. Of course. Yeah. Um, because, you know, he was and he was into politics and mm-hmm. all like that and, and his whole experience, you know, because it's not just... I mean, there's just not one thing or two things. There's, and that's why I did a historical marker on. I mean, he was over in the, in China before it was communism. Yeah. You know, and and because wow. uh, uh, he was a World War One yeah. veteran and he was. Oh, it was uh, World War One. I, I said Korean. Yeah, yeah, yeah World, World War One. World wow. War One. And he was over there and did. Uh, he was there on mission work yeah. for. Um, and uh, so actually, it's um, he was actually on mission work uh, uh, for uh, religion. Actually, that's when oh, wow. he was in China for it. But then he was a World War One veteran too. But so I mean, he, there were so many things in his life that he did mm. um, that I just like I say, and he was a minister for uh, forty years, and I don't, I never heard a sermon, you know. So you know, it's so funny. My grandfather just turned ninety seven, ninety eight, not too long ago. He's still, he's still pretty, you know, he's there. Yeah. yeah. And I remember not too long after my grandmother passed away a few years ago. Uh, I was sitting with him. It was post the funeral and post the wake, and we were at his house. And it was just me and him. And my dad and my uncle had gone to um, to pay some funeral stuff, and I was just watching him. 
And, you know, I was asking him, I, I, I have the recording somewhere. One day I'll release him as a podcast. But um, he was just sort of talking about, like, his life growing up in, like, the, you know, him and my grandmother going around the country. And he was what an opportunity for you. Yeah. It was great. It was awesome. Yeah. And, you know, oh, and my gosh. He, yeah. You know, he was going around the country and living in Arizona and, like, this one-room shack with my grandmother. And then he was in the Army and he's all over the place. And he was just telling these stories that today would seem very traumatic for yeah. like a, a normal person, but it's just right. like he's just the way that he just snapped him off like yeah, it was no big deal. Yeah, because it's easier to remember the past. Yeah, yeah. Of, of anything yeah. that when you remember, yeah. it's easier, and that's great that you got him to do that. One of these days, I, I'm I'm oh. holding off releasing those tapes because it it feels like bad karma to release them right now. Like it feels. Well, thank goodness know, you I, have them. I'm glad that I have them. I'm How long ago was it that you uh, years lost? ago? A couple years ago. Uh, it was oh. two years ago. Yeah, but still, that's not too. But you have them. So I have them floating around. Yeah, that's great. And I'll give you one last question for both of you guys to think about at the same time. Okay. Same question. Give me one book, album, movie, or television show that you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. So one book, uh, album, television show, or movie. Well, I just watched all ten hours of The Crown Season 3. Oh. <laughs> and I'm about to watch all ten hours all over again at Thanksgiving vacation. Because one person I admire most in this world is Queen Elizabeth. Elizabeth yeah. Because I just... She's devoted her entire life to her country, and uh, and plus, I I just love that show. So. I I'm a big fan of Olivia Coleman. She's the best. Oh she's yeah, so Olivia Coleman's the so best. Cool. I know she's, she's so great. Cool, so. No, when I heard when I when I heard that she was cast, I'm like, who who is that? But then I, I've seen the favorite. Favorite. She, she won the Academy Award, and she's fantastic. Yeah, she's great. But I'll tell you, I had the same answer as I did last time I was here. I still every once in a while I still put on, of course. General Hospital, but of course, but of also course. Feud. I, I still watch Feud. I, I, still watch I, Feud. Yeah, I just I, I just love Jessica Lange and uh, Joan Craw is Joan Crawford. Jessica Lange, Joan Crawford, and Susan Sarandon, Brady Davis, and eight episodes. But you know, sometimes I'll just be on Twitter, just turn it on at Amazon Prime, and I love Feud. I just so. get that Disney Plus. And I'm but really of course, I'm a, I'm a General Hospital man. I've been watching it for forty eight years. <laughs> That's so. impressive. And I'm going to watch it till a better end. You know? uh, so, Teresa, what for you? One book, album, movie, or television show you are currently well, reading, listening to, or watching? I'm actually, um, I'm not one, um, most of the time, most of the time I read, I read books on, um, that are like a, a mystery or something mm -hmm. like that, sure, or a sure. or something like that. There's something that isn't true, it's a mystery, because it gives me my chance in my mind to forget about everything yeah. else. Yeah. But, the other thing I do, what I do is really from serious reading, I do try to pick up some history now. Mm -hmm. And the la last book I read was on Nat Foster. Oh, and wow. and uh, I, I kind of like that because it's, um, it takes me yeah. really back into history with the Indians and that. Well, oh, I appreciate yeah. you saying it too because as a guy who's done, you know, schooling for the last many years, there is that, you know, when you're in school and you're doing your research, all you do is read. Yeah. Nonfiction research, mm -hmm. you know, uh, academic text. So I do try when I'm not doing tons of schoolwork to find time to read fiction or something that's sort of some sort of escapist fantasy yeah. to sort of keep it from not yeah. just being all this all the time. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys for coming in here Thank on you. our Thanksgiving episode. So I hope oh, you guys right. have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Thank you. Uh, you I will hey, put all yeah, the links. Please tell people Westmo on Twitter and Absolutely. on Facebook. Also, we have a nice Facebook page for Westmoreland Historical Society. Wonderful. Look up under that. So. And I will link everything for our listeners uh, on the website and on Twitter. Again, I want to thank, thank you guys you. so much for coming in. We really, really appreciate you guys. No, this was a great pleasure. Uh, have a great Thanksgiving, guys. We'll be back to the show in just a moment.
Oh, thank you once again, by the way, to Ron and Teresa. You guys are the best. Uh, Heather, I have to tell you, I'm ecstatic to see you. I'm so really? happy. I am always happy to see you. Wow. Bro. He's beside himself. We were at Friendsgiving mm-hmm. last week. It was nice to see you there mm-hmm. as well. You and uh, you and your husband out enjoying yourselves sans child, which was very rare. Yeah. I usually... How did you enjoy your childless evening? Well, afterwards? it's nice not to have to chase around somebody. Like, do you have to go to the bathroom? Do you have to poop? Do you have to pee? Are you hungry? Do you need more to eat? What do you want? Like, the whole time, it's like, you never get to talk to your friends. You're just constantly kind of, like, checking on your child yeah. the whole yeah. time. So, it, not that I don't like him around. But it was nice to have him go away for the night. Yo, shout out to your husband, Zach, by the way. Kev, you would appreciate this. He was dropping wrestling facts in the middle of dinner. Out of nowhere. He had facts. I didn't even know he knew about wrestling. Like, apparently he knows all about wrestling. Well, because wrestling's kind of a meathead thing. I'm surprised he knows anything about it. It doesn't seem... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you guys... It's true. Um, Also, Heather, I have some terrible news for you. What? Well, first off, Kevin is here still. Uh, yeah, it's terrible news. Uh, horrible. And what had happened earlier? What had happened earlier <laughs> tree, is man. we were under the impression that Kevin was not going to be here for the second half oh. of the show. Oh, I know, it's true. We're doing the second half of the show. Yes, it's only the second half of the show, uh, and that sadly we already means, did a real hot long first half. Wow! Yeah. And yeah, yeah. that sadly means spoiler alert: I'm back. That you can't. Kevin's back, by the way. Uh, the saddest news of all for you is that you've come in. Right in time for history lessons. I'm so excited. <laughs> I mean, this is that's all you get this week. You no, came no. over just Great. for history lessons. Then he's um, doing a short segment here, so you get nothing else. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> no, Long on lessons, just though. A lot of lessons. But, lot of- Before that, though, there were a couple things I did want to talk to you specifically about because you sent me a message yesterday that your oh, son yeah. was enjoying Spider-Man for the well, first time. <laughs> well, the, all the kids watch all his like kids he hangs out with watch Spider-Man, and we haven't let him watch Spider-Man yet. Why? I don't know, we just haven't had the... We don't watch a lot of TV. So uh, you said let him, though. That's different. Let him as in... We just haven't... He isn't... We just haven't let him yet. Has he not shown an interest in it before now? He kind of was, but I just haven't decided when he could watch it yet. Spider-Man's so, very wholesome. I went on Disney+. Plus. That's interesting to me. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I put keep on... keep picking at that thread after we get <laughs> off air. Well, because I just wasn't uh, quite sure what the cartoons were like now. Sure. How Spider-Man was now, or mm-hmm. how they were acting, or how obnoxious it was. I wasn't sure. You didn't want a Peppa Pig situation where they're accidentally giving your kid bad moral upbringing. Yeah, I just didn't know what they were what they were doing. That makes sense. So, I was looking through Disney+, Plus and um, they had Spider-Man from when we were, like, 1995. Yep. So, I put that on, and he was just, like, his eyes were glued to the television the whole time. <laughs> a little bit nervous, though. He was nervous a couple times. Like, asking for us to come close and hug him. Yeah, you got to toughen this kid up. So, I know. I go, oh, my Lord. I'm like, it's just Spider-Man. So, I had to turn it off and put the junior Spider-Man on. Oh, junior Spider-Man. You got yeah. to let him ride it So, out. he was just, like, hands in his mouth, and he's kicking his legs. And he wasn't, like, crying, but he was like, this is... But he wanted to watch it. Yeah, was, let him take the ride. He was nervous. Don't helicopter him. Let him be nervous. I he's gotta, I know you do. Right you got to fight that. through that. That was hard for me. So yeah, so now he, but he's into it, and he likes Iron Man's his favorite though. Mm-hmm. So he's watching Iron Man. Iron Man, <laughs> so interesting. I love them. Uh, it's so funny to me, just in general. I've said it a million times. Like I grew up reading a lot of these comic books, like Spider Man, Fantastic Four, Iron Man. It's very weird to me still that it's so mainstream now that like everybody knows who like Tony Stark is and like Thanos and all that kind of stuff. And Iron Man is an interesting one. Because when I was a kid, Iron Man was not a popular superhero. Yeah. Like, a very low mm-hmm. on the list of superheroes. So, it's funny that he's, like, the one that everyone He knows likes all now. of them, and he doesn't watch it. It just blows my mind. It's, a, it's, it's the way culture is. I it's distributed. Uh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving, Heather? What's your Thanksgiving plans for you and We're the fam? We're going to Zach's um, family's aunt's house in Boonville. Is that a benefit for you? Do you have to not cook now because of that? No, I still have to bring something. Yeah, but only one thing, yeah. though. You don't what have you to. What are you bringing? I bring cheesecake place. And, oh, um, there you go. 
that's what I bring. Usually. Cheesecake bites. Yeah. Very so good. cheesecakes. Uh, nobody ate my tomato salad that I brought you to our friends. I, I came late because I'm like, the worst. We were all stuffed. That looked amazing. Though. It was good. I thought I did a good job with yeah. it. Uh, Kevin, you're back. Thank you for coming back. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for Thanks. blowing off all your other obligations to Ooh, do this. We appreciate it? that. Sure. <laughs> we already talked about it in the first segment what oh, happened. Oh, sorry, I wasn't here. I wasn't invited to the first segment. Well, yeah, you're out, but he should know. I do. No. Uh, all right, you guys ready for history Ask lessons? Me again. Do your lessons. <laughs> I already told you once. Uh, on this day, 1920, the very first Thanksgiving parade uh, was held. In Philadelphia, which is uh, which is interesting because it's not generally when you, we watch the parade today, it's usually the Macy's Day one. That is actually not the oldest one. the The one that goes on in Philadelphia, which used to be the Gimbel's Thanksgiving parade, is actually the longest. It's been going on since 1920. Oh, it's still happening. Yes, it was held through the Great Depression and World War II. Thus, making I used to love watching the Macy's parade when I was a kid. I watched it on TV Loved all the time. Loved yeah. the float. And the singers. Now I think it's on just in the background to almost anything. I, it's on, but I do not engage with it. Not even, yeah. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I just don't I don't go looking for it on Thanksgiving mm-hmm. morning anymore. Well, I don't think my niece and nephew engage with it either, though. Because when I was, no, you know, we used to have like 14 channels. Yeah, we had <laughs> nothing. True. It was years ago when we did not have years ago. Uh, in addition to well-known balloons and floats, the original parade featured live music, other performances, including high school marching bands from around the country that participate. Uh, and of course, famous singers and bands. That feels like a tough gig to be. Like we've done the thing locally where you perform on a float or in the back of a van or yes, yes, we did, we did it, perform live on a float. It is generally cold. It's, Super cold. It's generally uh, a little bit unruly. Uh, you can never hear anything. It's a whole total audio mess. Uh, so I'm always impressed when I watch these people out here doing their best. Well, yeah, but I mean, these people are like hey, professionals running with in-ear monitors where you can all, you should always be able to hear everything you're playing professionally. Uh, what was your best draw, the music or the floats? When I was a kid, the floats was all I cared about, the big giant balloons Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, that was probably yep. it, yeah. yeah. Same. I always was a kid was a little disappointed when they would be like, all right, we're going to stop for two minutes on this tap dancing routine. I'm like, ah, can, can you move on to Spider-Man? Where's Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah, I didn't care about that kind of stuff. I like the show. Well, now as I get older, I appreciate no, that stuff No, when I was a kid, more. though, I've, yeah. always, I've always enjoyed a performance. I liked a performance from some sort of... Performer. Yeah, I was less impressed. Like dancing at, when they go on the road and start dancing. But I mean like a celebrity performer. Like I was more impressed if it's like Diana Ross is here. I don't know why I thought Diana Ross. But as opposed to like the North Jersey High Marching Band is here. Like that never did as much for me when I was a kid. As I get much older, I'd much rather watch a marching band. Well, yeah. Now that I know better. Now I understand. So, the, just saying. That was a, again, I apologize. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. Sam. That was wow. another thing Sorry. that I did Sorry. as a kid that I was... a bad was... kid and I'm a worse adult. That's true. <laughs> um, that was actually something I also did as a kid was do marching bands. I've done marching bands in parades, and that also is uh, annoying. <laughs> it's I really... was in color guard. You're in color guard? Do you like the thing where you threw the... The flag. The flag. My op- see, optimal participating parade experience for me is to just... You got to get in the parade, get on a float, get some beers, and just day drink mm-hmm. the parade. It's pretty... Playing in the parade was sick, though. We had a really good time with yeah. that. It's, like, we laugh about it. It was a wild, preposterous thing. But, like, for that 10 minutes, that's <laughs> top of the world. I'm not saying that it wasn't a good time. I'm just saying when you do that thing, there's a lot of weird obstacles that present itself that you're not, you wouldn't think of initially. Like, oh, I didn't think to myself that it's hard to stand up in the back <laughs> of a moving truck. Do you know what I mean? Like, no matter what you're doing. Uh, all right, moving on on this day, 1942. 
Casablanca premieres at the Hollywood Theater in New York City. It would win the Academy Award for Best Picture in 1943. Uh, it was based on an unproduced stage play called Everyone Comes to Rick's, set during World War II. It focuses on an American expatriate who must choose between his love for a woman uh, and helping her escape from the Vichy-controlled city of Casablanca to continue the fight against the Germans. Uh, although it had A-list film with uh, film stars and established writers, it was rushed into production, and people didn't think at the time that it was going to be anything other than just like another movie that was coming out. Uh, it was rushed into production to take advantage of the fact that the Allied invasion of North Africa had just happened a few weeks earlier in real life. The movie exceeded expectations, went on to win Academy Award for Best Picture. Its reputation gradually improved to the point that uh, it's considered one of the top films in movie history. Uh, they've There was talk initially of producing a sequel, which seems kind of weird in hindsight now. There was two different versions that didn't get made. Uh, they've also been attempts to recreate the movie in other locations. In 1980, there was a movie called Cabo Blanco, which is <laughs> Casablanca in South America. And then a movie in 1990 called Havana, which was Casablanca in Cuba, both of which were very poorly received. Hmm. It is one of the first 25 movies ever to be preserved by the National Film Registry as being culturally or significantly relevant. So, a lot to say right there about that movie. I'll start here, because I do have that list of those movies, but have any of you guys ever actually seen Casablanca? I've heard of it, but I've never. I have seen Casablanca. I've been it about fifty times. Wow, fifty I've times. I've seen that movie so many times. Um, I love that movie. It's a great movie. Mm -hmm. It's crazy though because <clears throat> besides just you know talking about the movie and the classic stuff from that, I think one of the most interesting things about Casablanca is it's one of those stories and films that you're probably familiar with some of the key elements of it, whether you've seen it or not. It was so. It's been so, like, uh, not, like, parodied, but referenced in society yes. between yeah. Looney Tunes and a billion different things. I mm -hmm. remember Boy Meets World did a whole yeah. Casablanca yeah. episode back in the day. Like, yeah. all these different things mm -hmm. that you still know about, like, the white jacket and, like, Rick and, like, mm -hmm. them being down there. And, you know, well, it's also those here's looking at you, kid. And, like, I think it started with mm -hmm. Beautiful Friendship and Fall Out Boy named a song after one mm -hmm. of the most famous lines yeah. in Casablanca. Like, it's so permeated the culture, and that's mm -hmm. really interesting to me to, to have a movie that just... You know it, know about it, without knowing it at all. Much like Apollo 13, it's one of those movies that has a famous quote that is misquoted from the movie. Mm. At no point in time in the movie Casablanca do they actually say, play it again, Sam. There are alternations of that line, but that's, yeah, yeah. that's another thing. Like mm. We've sort of indoctrinated into the culture, like Houston, mm. you have a problem, that is never actually said in the movie at any what point. What is the line in Apollo 13, then? Uh... I, I can pull it up for you. It's not Houston, problem. we have a problem. It's some variation of it. It's like there's two different lines that sort of say it. Hmm. And it's not actually Houston, we have a problem. I, I'll have to look it up. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's not Houston, we have a problem. Interesting. So, uh, by the way, I, we don't have to go through too much about each movie, but these are the other movies that were initially put. These are the first 25 movies. It was Casablanca, The Best Years of Our Life, Citizen Kane, The Crowd, Dr. Strangelove, The General. Gone with the Wind, The Grapes of Wrath, High Noon, Intolerance, The Learning Tree, The Maltese Falcon, Modern Times, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Nanook of the North, sure, mm -hmm. On the Waterfront, The Searchers, Singing in the Rain, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Some Like It Hot, Star Wars, Sunrise, Sunset Boulevard, Vertigo, and The Wizard of Oz. Those were the first 25 movies that were ever indoctrinated in those 1989. So, oh. all good movies. Uh, yeah, all makes sense. A lot of big hitters, yeah, a lot, a lot of classics. I'm sure that there were movies that you would want on here that are not here. Like, the next year you get, like, your Godfathers and Freshmen. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? But, yeah, that's all. It all seems fair. Sure. Um, we're already 11 minutes in, so I'm going to shorten Just our... Just let it rock, man. The people like the show. No, I yeah. know. I know. Uh, on this day, 
This is two history lessons in one. That's why I'm saying. Oh, okay. On this day, 1953, and on this day, 1959, two separate musicals closed and opened in New York City that are very important to me. The first one, 1953, Guys and Dolls closed after 1,200 performances in New York City. Uh, Guys and Dolls was based on short stories by a guy named Damon Runyon. You guys know anything about Damon Runyon? Uh, yes, they made a play called Guys and Dolls based on the short stories. <laughs> oh, yeah. Same. Uh, yeah. So Damon Runyon was an author from the time who was known, uh, known for his short stories celebrating like New York and Broadway from that era. So uh, New Yorkers of a certain generation referred to like Runyon Land or Damon Runyon as stories about New York from this era. And this play is sort of a take on uh, Damon Runyon stories. Right. So mm -hmm. uh, this was one of the first plays that I was ever in, in Aww. high school, in middle school. Uh, it was also one of the first plays that I was a significant lead. Like, I was oh. the lead in this play. I was a character named Nathan Detroit, who in the movie, uh, if you've ever seen, was played by Frank Sinatra. Uh, I auditioned... No big deal. I, I, well, here's a funny story. Maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> I auditioned with the song Luck Be a Lady, which is from this, uh -huh. this musical, right? Uh -huh. Thinking that by auditioning with that, I would get the Sinatra part. And I did. The problem is, in the movie, Luck Be a Lady is not sang by Frank Sinatra. It's sang by oh. the other guy. So if I <laughs> wanted to sing Luck Be a Lady, I had to be the other part that was not Sinatra. I had to be the uh, the Marlon Brando part. So, uh, whatever. But I was, so yeah, I was Nathan Detroit. I loved that play. It was a lot of fun. That was one of the first times I was like, yes, I'm a total, this is what I want to do. I want to be Please a, look at me more. Please look at me more. Yeah, clap exactly. For me. Please look at me and clap for me. Uh, this, Tell me I'm good. <laughs> this play uh, was selected for a Pulitzer Prize in 1951. However, the writer, Abe Burroughs, uh, was thought to have been a communist and was had troubles with the United uh, the U.S. Uh, Un-American Activities Committee. So the trustees decided to veto the selection and no Pulitzer Prize was given away that year. Uh, Once Upon a Mattress was the play that opened at the same time in New York in 1959. Uh, that was the second play I did uh, where I was also the lead. I was Dauntless the Drab, and that was a take on Princess and the Pea. You're in a it's lot a, of leads. When you're in like middle school and high school, you don't really no. need to do much to be in the upper echelon of the drama club. If you have one particular skill that you can use, that's good enough. I was a good singer. I was a, not a great actor, but I was a ham, and I could not dance. I believe that. But when you're, when you're in like middle school and high school, that's kind of all you need. You need one of those things to be good. A lot of times in middle school, you just got to go for it. Mm -hmm. You just got to go for mean? it. Like, yeah. yeah. <sighs> You got to be a hand. You got to be willing to put yourself out well, there. Well, it's one of those things because it's not not a knock like with the way that you, you know, I think you're a great singer. I've known mm -hmm. you to be a singer for a long time. But, like, a lot of what made you that guy when you were doing it was the fact that you were like, yeah, I'm not scared to come up here and sing yeah, a song. Never scared. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm going to come up here and sing a song. And you might hear better, more gifted voices throughout your life. Mm -hmm. But maybe those people are singing in their shower. Yeah. I'm going to get up there and I don't mm -hmm. care. I'm just going to sing the song. I mean, and that goes a long yeah. way, especially when you're like a kid like that yeah. and yeah. developing your mm -hmm. personality. That's what I've been doing with Casper. is trying to like get him to like openly sing and just get be Put confident. Him, like, I think part of so. that confidence is him watching at least not the junior Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. Just well, 90s Spider-Man <laughs> at least. Like just yeah. gotta... There's the 2000... 17 one. Well, you know, it's it's funny you say that though because mixed martial arts even when I was maybe. For this. even when I was a kid and I would do these shows or we would play shows in the band, <coughs> a pretty common question I would get from people is, Aren't you nervous doing this? That was like a regular question. And for me, I don't know if it was because I did like drama club in middle school, mm -hmm. because I had a sister who was into musical theater growing up, like no, at no point in time did it ever cross my mind that I should be concerned about being in front of people. Like I, why would I? Like oh. what's What's concerning about it, right? I would always say to people when I get asked questions, like you know, we've played, we've played a lot of shows, we've played a million shows, we do different stuff. 
is always like, aren't you nervous? Yeah, sure. Nervous to some degree. That Those nerves are there, but you still got to go do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. You know, so you just do it. Like, yeah, of course you're a little nervous. You know what I mean? Because I think it, like, alienates people. You're like, I'm not nervous at all. Why would I be nervous? And they're like, oh, you know. But yeah, of course you're nervous. You just got to do it anyway. Uh, all right, let's move on to 1982, uh, where legendary sports journalist Howard Cosell calls his last boxing fight because he is disgusted by what he is seeing. Uh, you ever heard of Howard Cosell? Have you? No. Have you ever heard this voice that people may have yes. made? That's Howard Cosell for okay. the most part. It's a bad impression of Howard right. Cosell. He was an American sports journalist who was uh, prominent and influential on radio, TV, and print media in the early 1960s through the mid-1980s. Um... He was known for his blustery, confident personality. He said, this is a quote of Cosell talking about himself that I'm going to badly do in his voice. (laughs) I am arrogant, pompous, obnoxious, vain, cruel, verbose, and a show-off. There is no question that I am all of these things. (laughs) He was very cynical. Uh, When he died, the New York Times wrote an article about him that said, uh, when he entered sports broadcasting in the 1950s, uh, the predominant style was just adulation for the the people out there just like mm-hmm. going over the top to like oh these athletes are amazing uh cosell was one of the first people to sort of offer counterpoint it was a little bit more like negative and early on that was ridiculed but now most announcers are much more in the line of a howard cosell than someone from the pre-howard cosell times the thing that he's probably most well known for was from december 8th 1980 during a monday night football game between the miami dolphins and the new england patriots Cosell shocked the television audience by interrupting his regular commentary duties to deliver a news bulletin that John Lennon had just been killed. That was a big deal of uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. It was not common for sports commentators or something like that to cut away to do news like that. He was unsure at the time whether they whether they should do it or not. He had to be talked into it. Mm-hmm. But that's like an iconic television moment. Uh, the reason he stopped calling fights uh, or boxing, which is what we talked about here, in 1986, uh, 1982, there was a heavyweight championship fight between Larry Holmes and a guy named Rex, uh, sorry, Randall Tex Cobb. It was a very clear mismatch. The guy Cobb was a replacement. Less than two weeks earlier, a guy named uh, Duck Koo Kim, who was a boxer, had been killed in the ring during a boxing match. Cosell was on TV saying, I wonder if the referee understands that he is constructing an advertisement for the abolishment of the very sport he is part of. Cosell was ho- uh, so disgusted and horrified over the brutality of the fight that he never called a professional fight again and retired from boxing commentary. Wow. I just thought uh, Cosell's a really cool story, so if you're ever looking for that internet... cool. Yeah, cool guy. I always loved his voice. Uh, and on this day, 19... Uh, sorry, 2012, uh, Hurricane Sandy. Uh, the cost of Hurricane Sandy to New York alone was announced to be $42 billion, with a B. Uh... It impacted, it caused about $70 billion of damage overall. It's pretty wild that $42 billion of that was just in New York. Um, I was in New York for Hurricane Sandy. I've talked about it a million times. Do you guys remember, was there anything up here that happened in upstate New York? Did you guys get anything during Hurricane Sandy? Same, same post-weather we always yeah. get from hurricanes. We're like, yeah. it's rainy and nasty four or five days later. Mm. I remember talking to you when that was happening. Yeah. I remember calling you and you're like, hey, you boys, what's going on down there? I've been hearing some reports like that it might be coming. And you're like, yeah, we're just kind of, we're hanging out, you know. Chill wave was a big thing at the time, so you guys were just chilling. Yeah, Everybody was hanging out. Uh, I remember feel, having a bit of survivor's guilt afterwards because we were in an area of... That, well, no, it's true. Because we were in an area of... the term, but... We were in this area of Brooklyn where we were... Everyone was buying up food. We thought it was going to get us, but we were kind of farther inland than we gave credit to. So really nothing happened to us. And we could... So after the next day, we're kind of not taking it seriously. 
It wasn't until a couple days later that I got back to New York. I'm like, oh, man, a lot of people are in a lot of trouble. Right? I feel bad that we didn't, like, understand the gravity of this because we specifically did not get hit as bad as we thought we were going to. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I remember, uh, I remember, I think we talked about this on the podcast kind of recently for a different reason. Mm Mm-hmm. It seems like to me, but I remember when we took a trip Long um, to Long Beach yeah. on Long Island, mm-hmm. and we were just saying because that was the thing too. Like we went to Long Beach, which is a city on Long Island mm-hmm. that's you know literally right on the beach, the ocean's right there, and there was still sand and ocean debris like three blocks in because it's a really narrow little strip out where they are, and they've got like the ocean on both sides. And this was uh, six months later, eight months later. This yeah. was way later, and we went out there, and people still had like two blocks in from the shore, people's yards were just ruined. It's one of those things you yeah. don't think about. And that's yeah. what it is all these disasters. Like, even, you know, to parlay it with something here locally. Like, we had yeah. that flood on Halloween. And, like, we don't really think about it. It hasn't really come up unless you're talking about it or something like mm. that. But, like, there's people whose lives are, you know, irrevocably changed forever yeah. still dealing with it today. Yeah. Yeah, the like, they're going to go into Thanksgiving this week without, like, a house to live in. Yeah, we have someone stuff. our... Um that works at the zoo whose house had water running under in their basement, like running through. Mm-hmm. Like they lost a lot of appliances and everything. It's crazy. Uh, so just real quick follow up on this Hurricane Sandy before we move on. In November twenty on November twenty sixth, uh, Governor Cuomo at the time called Sandy the most impact more impactful than Hurricane Katrina with an estimated cost in New York to forty two billion dollars. Approximately one hundred thousand residences on Long Island were destroyed or severely damaged, including two thousand that were rendered uninhabitable. Uh, and in 2016, the hurricane was determined to be the worst to strike the New York City area since 1700, which is pretty wild. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, we've gone pretty long. I don't have a ton of other notes, so we'll get to bits some other blog in a second. But I just wanted to ask you guys uh, if you love this or hate this. There's all these plant-based burgers that have been coming out. Almost every restaurant is jumping on the plant-based burger sort of chain now. Uh Fast food chain Arby's has decided to go the other way. Have you guys seen that Arby's is developing a carrot that is made out of meat? That you can- Meat-based <laughs> carrot. No, I'm not joking. So Here's the picture. You can see it right there. It's a carrot, so the, the audience can't see it, but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on Arby's meat-based carrot idea? Good idea. Or bad idea. Or a desperate move for more, like, publicity or something. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about it. It's just savvy so, marketing. It's savvy yeah. marketing. I don't know what's desperate about it. Yeah, it seems like they're stunting pretty heavily out there. Uh, the It's called the Merit. That's the real name. It is made with Arby's tender marinated 100% turkey breast and a special carrot marinade made from dried carrot powder. Uh, it is cooked sous vide style before being oven roasted. Uh, and then it looks like it has some sort of fake top to make it look like a cat. I mean, Is it, real? it doesn't sound very appetizing. Yeah, it's real. Of course it's real. It's, I mean. Is it only going to be in like certain areas or something? Yeah, I, areas with Arby's. <laughs> yeah, no, places. but they, you know what I mean? Like they're going to put in big cities. Uh, Why? Go it's just go a get meat one. stick. I'm sure they'll have them. I'm sure. I don't, this one doesn't seem very appetizing. It seems it's like a marketing happen. gimmick. It's just, I mean, else. it doesn't seem like it would be, it's just, it's turkey, it's right? It's stupid. It looks right, stupid. like it's stupid and it's a silly idea, but it's not like, I don't understand the notion like, oh, it's gross. Like, no. It seems It looks gross. Why? It looks it's a disgusting. turkey stick because of the shape? Well, I don't know yeah. what the turkey's made out of from Arby's. Turkey. The no, idea. It's probably like a bunch of gross It's made out of birds. The idea of ground up sure turkey. Gross. But like. 
So is the turkey you get at the grocery stupid. store. It looks stupid. It's processed too. It's the idea of ground yeah, turkey, colored Dumb. orange, yeah. everyone and agree with me. Put into Dumb. a piping bag to look like a carrot doesn't do it for me. Yeah, it I just know. doesn't. Of like, course, like not. Of course not. I'm with I'm with Sam. Of course, yeah. I'm not necessarily against Sam. I'm just saying. It sounds like it. I'm just like you guys, you guys. seem really worked up about this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. You guys are really upset. I'm trying to, you know. Do some damage control for you guys. The holidays are coming up. Okay. Let's do a quick. Uh, let's do a quick bit from other blog here. Um, oh, we'll do two of them real quick. And this one, I want to ask Kevin about specifically because you've had years. <laughs> of, <laughs> What's yeah. up, Heather? Yeah, well, because I showed me the second half of the show. And <laughs> uh, so here's the question. I didn't I even to, ask you what you're thankful for. You missed all the Thanksgiving content. I used to be a waitress years ago, and a good one, if I may say so. I'm now retired from my current job for the past eight years. I'm 65 years old and still in good shape. Do you think it's too old to go back into being a waitress part time just to have something to do? No way. Is sixty five years old two years old no too way. old? Yeah. No way. Oh, certainly you have uh, less or different options than you have sure. if you're sure. twenty five than you do when you're sixty five trying to work in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Right? Certainly, a lot of places is going to be too much for you. It's going to be too much to take on. Whatever. Um, but no, one hundred percent. If you can still do it, do it. There's a lot of places for that, and I would encourage it. You know, I enjoy. Getting out there, mixing it up with the people, making a couple bucks, making sure everybody's having a good time and eating. I think the lady who's asking the question in this case underscores the bigger concern. It's not that people would be bothered by it. You might be concerned about it yourself. Am I? That's 100% what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like, I mean, yeah, that's why it's the case. But if you can do it physically, then yeah, do it. And if you've got some weird question in your head, like, can I bring myself Mm -hmm. to do it, then you need to go to therapy. And that's just, that's pretty much that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if you want to get out and mix it up, your body can still do it 100%. I love it. I would love to have more 65-year-old waitresses in the world. Uh, and Heather, because you're very upset that I ignored you in the last yep. question, I can see already. No, uh, I'm good. I'll leave this. You don't even <laughs> have an opinion on that question. She's not even going to let good. you. Okay. Uh, wow. Is there an aspect sorry, of I, daily life? I didn't know he was going to treat you like this. I know. Is there an aspect of daily life that is worse than trying to walk another person through completing a task on a computer? <laughs> You know, I have a lot of patience for that because I used to work at Radio Shack. Mm-hmm. So I had all, other people come in all the time. So I feel like the worst task, there is a worse one, figuring out what to make for dinner every single day for my mm, family. What's for dinner? Yeah, every day I have to figure out dinner. So every See, day I have to call, what do you want for dinner? What does he like? So no, yeah. I need to get us a HelloFresh sponsorship so that I can go into a segue right there. That would have been a great segue oh, yeah. for See? cooking dinner. That's true. Know. That would have been a nice HelloFresh But now I don't mind helping people. I actually enjoy doing that. Yeah, that's fine. I actually uh, do. I don't think that this is the worst Only aspect. Only if they're being disingenuous and bad faith. If it's old folks doing the like, what does it mean, click okay? Yeah. What do you, how do I click teehee? Mm. I'm just a boomer. It's like, okay, you're an idiot and I hate you. <laughs> that's tough. But like, as long as you're doing it in good faith and like have a yeah. brain in your head, I under- it's not that tough. Here's the thing though. I would rather do it myself. Yeah. I understand the urge though. If I'm over somebody's shoulder and I'm trying to show them how to do something on a computer, it's 99% of the time faster I just do it for them but right but then they'll never learn and sure. that's the that's where I get frustrated my question is whose shoulder are you over on a computer students yeah? yeah trying to teach them how to do what like what kind of stuff yo listen I know that kids I'm are I'm just tech- curious what comes yeah. up I don't know that's I know that kids are tech savvy and they're good with technology but you know what they're not good with basic technology shit they do not understand how to go to the menu on the computer and pick a printer Right? Like, they don't understand how to find, like, they don't know how to search through a computer. They're not thinking anymore. Because they didn't have to. Like, we, we grew up in that early era of computers when you understood what the control panel well, that was. that stuff was yeah. still yeah, irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. weird stuff like that, a lot of, like, current, like, students and stuff and kids from this era do not know how to do. Like, they don't, just uh-huh. weird little things like that. 
uh, that I spent a lot of time doing. That's why I actually think one of the nice things is now, you know, the world we live in, this isn't a practical reality in absolutely every situation, but I think one of the most effective ways to teach somebody to do something on a computer is when you can take control of somebody's monitor. Mm -hmm. And so basically Mm -hmm. work on the same monitor together, you know what I mean? Like tether the computers. It is unsettling to watch, though, when somebody does it from a distance. You ever have somebody do that? Like, Mm -hmm. do your IT department, like, fix I don't like that. That can do it from at home, at work, to our computer at home. Yeah, 100%. That makes sense. It's just Uh, easier to have it connected and set up like that. Heather, give me something you're thankful for before we call it quits for the week. Bob, definitely my son. Sorry. I'm definitely thankful for And my skis. Thank you. Oh, your skis. <laughs> oh, okay. Never mind Zach, apparently, just his skis he and her child, and that's it. Uh, I had a great time seeing you at Friends Yeah, it was fun. It was, it was fun. awesome. I, I don't know. It sounds like it was a good time. I was, it was. Well, I couldn't make it. Yeah. yeah. Showman. The showman. He's out here doing it. The showman. It never stops, man. It never, we literally, it never stops. I got two this week. Kevin, what are you, you thankful though. for this year? That's awesome. What? Good for you. Like having all these shows and being busy. It's hilarious that people pay me money to do this. <laughs> It's hilarious. I can't get over it. Every week when I get paid, uh, I just get a handful of cash for going out there and playing like fun songs that everybody mm-hmm. likes and just playing my bass. It's awesome, though. Very funny to me. I wish I'd realized earlier. We're making a lot more money. Uh, and I, of course, am thankful for uh, you guys and all the Maiden uh-huh. Utica crew and my family and all my pals and all, all the... Maiden crew? Yeah, everybody. Uh-huh. The whole Maiden Utica. Everybody uh-huh. in the Maiden Utica crew. Uh-huh. All of them. I mean, even the ones who are pains in my ass. Uh... And, of course, uh, happy holidays to you and yours. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Uh, thanks again to Ron and Teresa. You can follow Heather on at, on Twitter at HeatherWaz1. You can follow Kevin underscore Kevin Sullivan. You can follow me at SF Doom or just follow the show at Uticast. We are on Facebook, uh, SoundCloud, Instagram, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcast, Twitter. We're taking over the web. Uh, Sayonara, humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. Uh, happy Thanksgiving again, folks. Enjoy your enjoy your long vacations, your long weeks. The tape machines are rolling. We are desperately out of time. Uh, when we get back, I guess it's officially Christmas season, right? Can't wait. Yeah, you ready? You're in? Have you in? I'll be in after. Always here. Yep. Have a, have, a thanks, have a good Thanksgiving, folks. Bye-bye.